Hey Adam and Dan, Brad here. I was thinking about the word goblinoid, and specifically the suffix oid, which is a medical terminology for a shape or a form. So I'm wondering, what is the nastiest, most disgusting shape or form you can think of to make a goblinoid? Thanks, Brad. Um, the correct answer here, of course, is Dave. That is the most disgusting shape I could make a goblinoid. But let's roll That's dice, the Dan. most disgusting shape you can make pretty much anything. Yeah, all right, let's roll. Okay. Uh, I got a natural 20. All right, well, what's your shape? Uh, spherical. <laughs> yeah, okay. Uh, uh, what is the shape of uh, wet kinetic sand? That's gross. I yeah. mean... Um, no, my answer, my real answer, because Dan, you're a dingus, um, <laughs> is twofold. Oh, 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 a dingus. That's all, yep. Yeah. I'm going to call mine the goblinoid from now on. <laughs> it's a selfish little bastard that's always, cre- never mind. So. Has long, sharp teeth. Don't judge me. See um, doctor. So in Eberron, there are actually twisted goblinoids. I actually spoke at the end of one of the uh, Touring the Multiverse episodes about the Dolgaunt. Which is a hobgoblin who has been essentially skinned. He's blind. He turns inside out. And he will use these giant cilia and tentacles hanging off of him to drain the life and energy out of people. But they also have the Dolgrim. Which is they took two goblins together. And they physically merged their bodies. So they have two mouths. One on top of the other. The lower lip of one is the upper lip of another. They've got four arms. They are considered small aberrations. They've got dual consciousness. So it has advantage on all saving throws against being blinded, charmed, deafened, frightened, stunned, or knocked unconscious. Okay. I guess with two brains, that makes sense. Yep. So even if you reduce it to zero hit points, if you're the kind of party that runs with death saves for monsters, you would still be like awake and talking. Um, but then they, they get three attacks because he's got all these fucking arms. Morningstar, spear, and hand crossbow. Nice. Yeah. And so it's really cool because he's like these aberration gods... Of insanity. Captured some goblins, just started to fucking twist them. They're weird, gray, hunchback looking things. Their heads are a part of their torso. And they're just gnarly little nasty motherfuckers. I love it. Yeah. Super cool. I the Dell Gods are pretty awesome too. Yeah. It's a mimic, the roundtable Dungeons and Dragons discussion podcast, where you never know what you're going to get. Welcome to another episode in our conversation on mob mentalities, where we look at some of the numerous humanoids out there that can make up the enemy armies in Dungeons & Dragons. I'm Adam, and with me today, of course, is Dan. Hello. And the episode is called Goblinoid Hosts, Booyag, Booyag, Booyag. And you'll know why in a moment. Oh, yes. We've reached out to our army of friends and allies to help us break down what a goblinoid host looks like in 5th editions. We've covered the stats and details last episode for the basic goblin, the goblin boss, the bugbear, and bugbear chief, and the nilbog. We also did the warg. Mm -hmm. But now we're covering all of the different kinds of goblins that get lost in the pages of Volo's Guide to Monsters. Because one of the things that people don't realize is that In the flavor text, it breaks down a bunch of other kinds of goblins that you will find within a goblin host. Yeah, these things are mostly uh, goblins with a NPC stat block put on them. Yeah, but not necessarily. Sometimes it can just be the fact that they have access to a spell. Yep. Um, Most of them are what happens when you get magic. So we're not talking about bugbears. We're not talking about hobgoblins. We're talking about goblins specifically and the ones that don't have Goblinoid stat blocks. If you look up goblins in the Monster Manual or Volos, you will not find these in there. 
There are rules on how to play these, and we're going to talk about them as we go. But we're really focusing now on kind of what life as a goblin is, because you tend to run into goblins independent of the host yep. more often than you run into the others, as as a general rule. So we mentioned last time that Maglubiot was uh, the one who subjugated all the other goblin gods, killing most and bullying the rest into submission, except for the unnamed trickster god, which gave us the Nilbog, which we talked about in that episode as well. Um, The only goblin god that survived beside the unnamed god is Kurgorbayog. Kurgorbayog is just a fucking mouthful. You're not wrong. All of the goblinoid gods are, and we talked briefly about the other gods uh, in the last episode, but um, as shitty as this thing that Maglubiot did was... it's okay because it unified the goblinoid forces, right? All of the races came together to form the host. Yeah, I mean, there you do see a lot of the other gods have uh, surrounded um, the ones he's bullied into submission, kind of uh, lead the other races towards worshiping of Magubliet. Yeah. Right? So um, the unnamed trickster god and the Nilbog notwithstanding, who just do their own shit for chaos' sake, right? And, yeah. And the goblins avoid those two as much as they can. Um, it gives this idea that Magubliet is a lot smarter. Like, yeah, I mean, he's a god, but he, he is so far removed from what the goblin is. I can look at Magubliet and be like, if that's how distant from a goblin Magubliet is... How distant is Corlon from an elf? Oh, and I think the answer is very distant. Yeah. Right? There's some, like, you know that Moradrin probably looks like a dwarf. Garl Glittergold probably looks like a gnome. You know that Bahamut looks like a, well, a dragon. So yeah, I, so that doesn't really count for, for Dragonborn. <laughs> but um, but the idea here that Maglubiot probably doesn't. Look like I, I think he looks like a goblin, but he looks like a mixture of a goblin of a hobgoblin, a bugbear, and a goblin. Right? I would almost say he looks more goblin than the other than the other two, only because his name comes up with goblins more. But that's because people talk about goblins more. Well, the other thing is goblins are the far more prolific, and I like seeing this uh, role of the goblins are being subjugated by everything. Right. Including Magubliet. It makes it sound like Magubliet has subjugated them first. It's Magubliet. Ah, man. And the hobgoblins and that follow that line in order to create this distance between their god and, and the other. I, like, if I'm putting Magubliet or whatever I'm going to say his name is, if I'm putting him on my table, he's going to have, he's going to be shorter. He's going to be a broader, he's going to be uh, like a beefier looking goblin. But he's going to have very telltale goblinoid features. He's going to have that rusty uh, earth tone skin. He's going to have tufts of hair everywhere. Long ears with teeth. Like large sharp teeth. But he's going to be smart. You describe something that is not a fucking goblinoid to me. Rust is not the color that I say is goblins. Rust to me is like off red. Goblins are yellowish. The idea that that well, they have that earthy tone the, to them. The, the tufts of hair all over it. Bugbear. That's where I get that from. Okay. All right. And the uh, and the e- the ears with teeth. The long ears, and also 
Like there's an Oxford comma there. <laughs> and the sharp teeth. Oh, okay. Right? Long ears and sharp teeth are two features separate from each other that Magooblia has. I, I just don't picture him as being the hunched over goblin or bugbear, right? Like he stands tall and regal. I think that he is probably put together better. He is a general. He subjugated the will of so many people, so many gods, because he was just a better combatant. I also think he's probably sneaky as fuck. Well, yeah. I mean, I could I could understand that. Maybe make his head, because you know how... Uh, well, no, the goblin heads in 5e are smaller. They're not that hunched over shape, like... No, they, they very much are hunched forward. They're just... They're not the... They're not the Pathfinder giant head tiny body. Yeah. Right? They don't let... The Pathfinder ones drive me nuts because they remind me of little big planet. Oh, yeah. Their heads fall over. <clears throat> like, the, the gravity would wreak havoc How on strong goblin. are their goblin necks? But no, in... What, Dan? Nothing. No? Nope. You're not going to do that? No. Nope. At about the small size, nah, but this no, tall? No, no, Just grab him by the ears, right? Jesus. <laughs> and the tufts of hair, apparently, a fucking weirdo. <laughs> Anyways, let's get back on top. You can grip him by the tufts. Jesus. So, most goblins are raised from a young age to acknowledge other deities and faiths as being false gods and blasphemy. This is where the idea of them being irreverent comes from, actually. Okay. Um, so it's not that they're chaotic and they don't give a shit. They just hate your gods. They take pride in desecrating holy relics, symbols, or sites, and they usually focus on clerics in battle. This is something that I didn't know before researching this. Goblins will attack the cleric first. Um, I would have it so not not necessarily specifically the cleric, but the faithful. Yes, is is like. So if if you have a fighter who's got a particular strong a particularly strong faith, I would have him. Your be the paladin target. with the holy symbol on the shield will be a target. Your druid, yeah, right. Your warlock with his like covered in symbols of his patron. Uh, Those would be the target. Yeah, and so I I really like it says specifically though clerics mm-hmm. in the book. So I really like the idea that goblins are taking out the holy guy first. Almost hit and run tactic. Leave the party confused, being like, what the fuck just happened? As they have to figure out a way to resurrect to the cleric. Yeah. This is a big problem because guess who has spare the dying? So um, now when it comes to goblins specifically, their pantheon consists of really only the two remaining gods. Maglubiot and like I said, Krogorbayog. Gesundheit. Now he's also known as the overseer. This is Kurgorbayog. Yes. Okay. Um, Maglubiot, there's actually surprisingly little about. We know that he is subjugated to the rest and he he leads the army on Acheron. And you find a lot more information on Maglubiot when you look into hobgoblins than goblins. Yes, because he is a general himself of a large battle. And and, and hobgoblins themselves have a very fanatical level of worship for Maglubiot. Yeah, they also have their own pantheon that survived because they kind of fall in line with him. Yeah. Um, whereas the goblins don't. They only have Krigorbayog. He oversees everything in goblin life, but he's all about slavery. Mm-hmm. Um, this is where the idea of goblinoids enslaving people comes from. Even the goblins, the lowest of the low, will enslave other people. His holy symbol is a yellow and red striped leather whip. So... Like Terry's, but with the color of P as well. So like Terry's. But it, the P is there on purpose. Yeah, like Terry's. Oh, oh my goodness. Um, Krugorbayog is very 
cruel. You don't say. Yeah. Um, but like pain for the sake of pain. I, I, he, I just got to say a whip is a holy symbol and favored weapon never is for a nice God. Like you don't have that. The one with a whip that's like, Hey, I, I, you know, I'm about art and beauty. It could be. I could see how it is. It, it, it could be about love and procreation or just marriage. Cause you know, you're whipped. Well, maybe you are, Dan. (laughs) It's because I'm married, Adam. (laughs) I wouldn't say Brad is whipped. I 100% would. All right. And he would agree with me with pride. Pride or fear? Both? Yeah. Yeah, okay. (laughs) So so that's another red whip. Okay. (laughs) Um, So he encourages all all goblins to become slavers. That is the big thing. He says that you need to be enslaving others. He has some very distinct omens and signs that terrify goblins. And they all revolve around slavery. And they will pop up all of the time. If you are running into goblins that are not slaving, you should start to throw omens there for the NPCs, or for the players rather, to be like, what the fuck is going on? To give the idea that there is a god and he is fucking watching. He is the overseer for a reason. This is another thing I want to put towards DMs as well. Because goblins are a common, incredibly common tier one threat. Goblins, they'll kill the cleric. They'll enslave the rest of the party. They will, yeah. Right? So if you have that level of danger in your thing, remember, your party can survive a goblin encounter nine times out of ten. Even if they lose. Yes. Yeah, because they will be enslaved. Yeah. That That is not the end of the story. Now, the actual omens themselves are um, like a whip crack with no um, visible source, ropes and chains that move on their own, glowing cages, things like that. Like, it's slavery. I, I, I like the glowing cages because it's just like, hey, idiots, this is empty. Look at this. Idiots, you got to start enslaving things all again, the, like, you fools. All, all the goblins are sitting there being like, ah, oh, okay, we got the elf. What do we do with them? Whoa. <laughs> yeah. So, um, when, here's something that's really cool, though. When a worshiper of Kurgorbayog feels like he's failed, he actually falls into a deep depression. Hmm. However, when he comes out of the depression, he's reborn with new fervor for their cause, which, of course, is... Slavery. slavery right so they will sit there and be like oh i failed and they'll sit there and pout and get drunk and mope and kind of shit in the corner instead of going to the actual shit pits and like they will just be like a, a sad little goblin and then every once in a while they'll be like no you know what i can do this i can fucking do it i'm going to enslave whatever i can find and they will go out and just enslave the first people they come upon yeah this is why you get um, raiding bands of goblins going in to steal whoever they can. When they go, you, you hear about, oh, the attack on the farmhouse. And that's really common. Goblins attacked a farmhouse. Yeah. Stop making them go after chickens. It's cute and funny, but they're there to enslave the farmer and his family. Yeah. It, it's, we missed this shipment from the farmer. Go figure out why. Oh, the goblins took them. Yeah. And there's a very, like, oh, they took the the blacksmith's daughter. That is the standard opening quest yeah. for your homebrew campaigns. There's a fucking reason. And it this works. is it. Yeah. Right? I mean, even if you look into the starter set with the Mines of Pendelver, the goblins killed the horses because they hate horses. Remind me, reminder, they hate horses. Um, And they took the dwarves and kidnapped them. They didn't kill them. They kidnapped them. Mm-hmm. Right? That's in the starter set, people. 
So, no. so yes, they're all about slavery, but they're also about power over others. No. They've got a few basic castes in a loose system that breaks down into pariahs, gatherers, and hunters. And another one I'll get to in a minute. Pariahs are the lowliest. Okay. That makes sense. Yeah. And they tend to be the weakest and the dumbest. They clean up after others. They deal with animal shit. They work hard at labor. Um, And the pariahs love getting slaves because they're the ones that have to look after the forced laborers. They get to say, hey, you know, we're not bottom of the barrel anymore. We got someone who's even lower than us. So a lot of the times when you get the um, pariahs or, or the goblins that are being mean to, to the slaves or whatnot, it's the pariahs because we have to keep you down because if it ain't you, it's me. Yeah. And it's not going to fucking be me again. Yeah. All right. So think about the small man syndrome bullies on the playground that, you know, the, the short kid that lashes out. This is the stereotype of the kid that gets hit at home. So he yells at everybody else at, at school. Yeah. Right? Um, that's who the pariahs are. Really trying hard not to make a Brad Marchand joke. I don't get it. Oh, it's hockey. He plays for Boston. He's a little guy. Mouthy. Gets in a lot of fights. Piece of shit. Just a piece of shit. Every Brad is like that. Ah. Just a mouthy piece of shit. Come at me, Brad. We've been tearing Brad apart recently on the podcast. <laughs> I and like we, you, Brad. Yeah, we got to start spreading the love over to... Well, I'm not going to I'm not gonna rip on Megan. She frightens Terry? me. Terry? No, Dave. Yeah. Dave's a piece of shit. Dave's just a piece of shit. Everyone named Dave is a pariah. Anyways, yeah, you I mean, heard me. hunters. Um, well, they're, the next up is gatherers, actually. They're the next lowest. Well, that's Terry. Terry I, gathers. I, I gathered as much. Um, they are usually focused on procuring and managing the food stocks. Okay. Um, they carry basic tools like caltrops, nets, and snares. And they're really, really cowardly. They don't carry traditional weapons. Gatherers and pariahs are your stereotypical scared goblin when you run across that one goblin in the woods who's got like a handful of berries goes ah! and then turns around and fucks off and runs and you chase them it's because you found a gatherer yeah but then they're going to run to the nearest hunters and that's why you end up getting ambushed mm-hmm. hunters are slightly better than gatherers or pariahs but but only because they can use weapons moderately well they're usually the best riders and act as hunters during peace times and and scouts foot soldiers and cavalry during war but these guys are also going to be your border patrol as yeah. well. Um, they're going to be guarding the encampment and the lair. Um, and as much as you do have the pariahs taking care of slaves and whatnot, the threat will be from the hunters walking the grounds. Um, there is the fourth cast. And it almost acts like goblin nobility. Uh, for what goblin nobility could be. It's the closest thing to nobility that goblins are going to get. Yeah. Uh, they just get preferential treatment within the host itself, especially when there are no hobgoblins or bugbears around. Well, um, yeah. I mean, you're not wrong. Um, I never in, am. In the host, in the research I've done for hosts and stuff like that, uh, stay tuned for next week, uh, you see that a lot of goblins just across the board when they are in a host with gob- with uh, hobgoblins and bugbears, regardless of what their status is in their own little uh, hobgoblin den or whatever it's called, they all become hunters. If they're pariahs, they're hunters. If they're everything, they're hunters. Across the board. That is what their role in a host plays. And it actually mentions that in oh. the book. Yeah. Cool. Well, uh, and did- Lashers still maintain that step above. So I guess they also... Main, uh, do they maintain they the- they maintain that little like it 
It's again, it's they're that gonna be the lieutenant. small amount of power over the rest of the goblins. They're the ones that the hobgoblins talk to just so they don't have to talk to the rest of them. Yeah, okay. L- Lashers, when they're in and among just goblins, are usually um, a family of goblins. So this is the only mention really of there being families that matter, but it does matter when the goblins are in and among themselves. The family usually has some sort of training for battle or some helpful skills like trap building, mining, forging, or religion. If a goblin can figure out how to make a whip that resembles Kurgorbayog's whip in his um, emblem, that's enough to elevate them to become a lasher. Wow. Because they don't deal with leather very often, right? They are big forgers. That's something that I learned as well here, is along with like gnomes and dwarves, they're crafty. Yeah. So... Lashers tend to hold on to the knowledge of their skills and treat them as invaluable secrets, especially whip making, because if everybody knows what you know, then you're not special. Yep. Um, there's one last kind of goblin within the ranks that is not necessarily part of the caste system, um, and they stand outside of the general um, hierarchy. They're more like a celebrity, and that's any kind of goblin that wields magic. They're rare because they don't usually have the patience for wizardry, the talent for bardic magic, or the favor of their gods. Sometimes they do, but it's just rare. They're more likely to make a pact with a patron of some kind, but even then it tends not to go well because they can rarely hold up their end of the bargain. Yep, and their god is a very jealous god as well. Um, yes, Kurgorbayog will sneak them some some oh, yeah, magic, yeah. and we'll see that in a, in a little bit. We'll talk about that, but the warlock patrons, I don't think that Kugor, or, uh, that Magluviat is going to give a shit if they get um, magic from a demon lord. Doesn't matter. I'm still your god. You'll still come to me. Uh, and if you have more power... That's what I was power, trying to say, yeah. yeah. So you may strike a deal with, but you don't worship a patron. Yeah. So you're, I'm still going to use that power that you're being gifted. And a lot of the time, as we'll get into, they don't go hunting that pact they get approached with and subjugated by the patron to then do their bidding. Of course they do. With yeah. some, here's some magic so you can um, accomplish my goals. And that's it. Uh, mm-hmm. Even sorcerer's affinity, though, tends to be lost in a generation or two with goblins because they don't understand magic. So even if you have the ability to cast a fireball, you don't. your, your descendants might as well, but they won't know because you didn't write it down. There's no oral history of there's yeah, no logic yeah. being taught so they just do it by accident sometimes um and all magic is simply just a mystical power no matter the form and they simply refer to its users as one blanket term and that is booyog any any thoughts on goblins <laughs> and magic dan do you usually have magic wielders in your goblinoid host no I, I tend not to either. I tend not to, um, mostly because the tier one threat and the second you start bringing magic into a tier one threat, things tend to snowball rather quickly, especially with goblins because they already have the action economy on their side. Yeah. Um, I, yeah. Because they come in, in groups. Because they come, they come in uh, dozens, baker's dozens. They come in thirteens. Um, so anyways, so uh, tend to not, however... Uh, because of research involved in this and, and really diving deep into goblin lore. Oh, hell yes, I am now. The Booyogs are amazing. Yeah. The, honestly, 
I didn't use them before, but I'm going to start using them, especially when I get into early tier two. Yeah. Because you're right. Shit's going to get out of control. Yeah. When you're dealing with this many goblins, having one or two that can actually cast spells is a little bit fucking crazy. Yeah. Um, but I don't think that you're going to get that with just your average hunters that are raiding a farmstead. Your magic wielders will probably be a part of a larger goblinoid host or be back in the lair. So speaking of lairs, goblins usually like to live in darker places, but that doesn't necessarily mean dark, dark. Yeah. They like shadowy valleys and deep forests. Not necessarily like... As long as they can hide from direct light. Like direct sunlight is what they don't like. They're not going to... They're Yeah, they're not going to the beach. Yeah. Right? Um, they do like mines. They do like to be underground and whatnot. And I'll cover that in a second here. But they're not like... Um, like ghosts that are hiding in dark haunted yeah. castles and shit. Right? They will operate in broad daylight. Because they're actually pretty decent at mining and crafting, they tend they tend to look for resources that will help them with this, and they often uh, lead to issues with settlements who rely on iron. So think humans and dwarves. They tend not to really clash with elves as a general rule mm-hmm. because they have no reason to be in the same you know general vicinity with each other when you think about elven metals and whatnot you think of mithril and silver and as opposed to iron and steel which is how goblins operate yeah they'll often actually move into a mine that has been declared stripped and go hunting for more that others might have missed a goblin mine is the central part of a goblin civilization and they'll build little tunnels like a rabbit warren looking for metals so even though everybody else has left they will go in and they will kind of pick up the scraps, um, including the steel and metal that are a part of the structure that holds the mine together. Yeah, and stuff th- they'll be pulling apart tracks for nails and stuff to exactly. smelt into weapons and various other things. Yes. Their actual settlement will extend out of the mine and onto the surface for defense reasons, and they will patrol and guard the areas for miles around to protect their territory. We discussed last week how they ally themselves with uh, wargs to do this. And wolves, yep. Yeah, but they really focus on wolves as watchdogs. They like to use wolves as guards because the packs don't immediately announce the new goblinoid presence. So they will train wolves and let them out, and the wolves will know that they can come home once they're done their scouting and whatnot. Yeah. The next level of defense on the outskirts of the territory are goblins of the hunter caste that sit on high elevations like treetops and cliffs where they can camouflage and shoot. Mm Mm-hmm. Any road, river, valley, or obvious pathway through one of these goblinoid regions in, like, goblin territory will be used as ambush points to capture potential slaves. So, you get the idea that they're looking for opportunistically good places, but not every goblin layer is going to be the same. Yeah. Um, when they are trapping and capturing and ambushing, it's traps. Traps, traps, traps. They would rather have um, humanoids, whoever it is, or even monsters if they're going to enslave monsters. Um, they would rather have them get caught in a net and not be able to escape and tire themselves out before the goblins show up. Yeah. Than have to confront them head to head. So the edges of the lair itself is going to be full of areas that are going to be useful to the goblins. So they're going to chop down trees and build furnaces and even farm mushrooms and gourds, which I thought was kind of neat. 
Um, and of course, those will be farmed by the gatherers. Gatherers, yeah, as well, right? I, I like how it's mushrooms and gourds specifically. Yeah, I just, uh, I know it's not quite a gourd, but like I just get the vision of like that one clumsy pariah who got that one chance to go on a gathering run and is just walking back into the ca- uh, the camp with a pumpkin on their head. Just off-center. That is the most Pathfinder Goblin bullshit that I have I heard. I love it. Yeah, you're on your own on that one. Um, I really like the idea that you're going to... Maybe if you stumble into Goblin territory, you're going to be able to tell because... Wow, someone cleared out all these trees. Is that a really rudimentary kiln over there that was, that's just built out of mud? Yeah. That's filled of like with coal and stuff? Like, As you look around, and you should be able to figure out that there are goblins around, but you're not going to find Goblinoid like graffiti. Well, we mentioned in last episode that if you are coming to like a goblinoid graveyard, like a goblin graveyard, um, they tend to like to distance themselves from the dead. So a graveyard will be within their territory, but it's on the border of their territory. Yeah. So they will often be seen if you come across a goblin graveyard as a warning of what to kind of territory you are now entering. Yeah, but most of the time they don't even want anyone to know that they're there. Yeah. They just want to like a, a goblinoid cemetery or graveyard is going to be do you know there's a cemetery in a graveyard uh isn't it uh the type of stone used no like, the, like either standing tomb uh tombstones or no a graveyard is attached to a church and a cemetery is independent oh, okay yeah so um when you when you run across one of these you know burial sites i don't think it's going to be marked well there's going to be a bunch of like like unearths yeah just earthen mounds because they don't want to acknowledge the fact that they're there. They would rather go in, strip mine the area, and fuck off. Yeah. Um, I don't believe that goblin, um, or even goblinoid at all, uh, layers are permanent. They're semi-nomadic. They will move in, stay for a while, and then move out to somewhere else. I, I would say that's true for everything except hobgoblins. Well, but hobgoblins tend to also be on the march, right? Like, they will have their homelands. Well, they have their stronghold. They have hobgoblin strongholds, which, like, are the same here. Usually built out of ruins or something like that that they can use to their advantage. Hobgoblins are far smarter than the average goblinoid. Um, And, yeah, they will get up and move if they have already, like, if that stronghold is not a place that they could use as a base of operations to conquer from anymore. Yeah, and it's the same thing. Like, as mo- as soon as the resources have dried up for goblins, they move on. Yeah. But they will strip mine the area. Now, on the outskirts of a civilization, it doesn't say this directly in any of the lore, but I would assume that they're going to stick around a lot longer if they can raid to get their things. Yes, yeah. Um, now, the area outside is going to be just crawling with goblins and slaves, um, especially pariahs. And gatherers. This is outside the ca- the, uh, the mine. mine. Yeah. yeah, the opening, uh, the mouth of the mine. So they will be there. Um, they will be the ones, the prize will be the ones stocking the furnaces. They're going to be the ones doing the smelting. Well, the lashes will be doing the smelting. The prize will be doing like lifting the metal over and um, kind of processing the ore. The basic the labor. labor. Yeah. yeah. Um, if the underground areas aren't as big as they want them to be for the tribe... Then they'll make the pariahs and the gatherers sleep in simple dwellings on the surface. So when you think of a goblinoid hut, that's for the low castes. Yeah. The lair itself is actually going to be inside the mine or the cave system that they're turning into a mine. Yeah. Um, where there are lots of tunnels and little rooms. 
but there's usually only one entrance. They don't like to have multiple ways in. No. Because this is their safety as well. Yeah. Uh, We did mention in the last episode that um, a lot of these layers will be, from what the goblins can't construct, will be hard for medium creatures to move through. Yes. Yeah. Now, they will build escape tunnels. But those escape tunnels will be for, like, emergencies only. And you will often have to bust out. And no way to bust in. Mm-hmm. Um, they do rely on the single point of egress for defense purposes. Near the entrance, wolves and wargs will be housed. But not strictly monitored. They get to come and go as they see fit. Unless the goblins need them for a specific job. So they are independent of the goblin um, tribe that they're a part of. So they're allies until, hey, we've got to go raid the village. Three wargs and a dozen wolves. Let's go. Yeah. Right. Um, most tunnels inside the areas are trapped. And most traps don't just aim to injure and incapacitate interlopers, but also collapse the tunnels. So it's very likely that you can have goblins that are stuck separate from the entrance. Oh, that would be a fun encounter. I'm down for that, yeah. Um, I would assume, because goblins are not dumb. They're not wise necessarily, but they're not dumb. They would have digging materials and basic explosives and stuff deeper in to dig their way out en masse, because there's going to be a bunch of them, or the slaves, they'll get the slaves to do it as well. But they want to cut off the people that are moving through until they can get a better plan. Okay. Um, the main open areas inside the lair are set aside for slave holdings, keeping beasts and tamed monsters, and acting as living quarters for the lashers and the hunters. The goblin boss is going to have something that's akin to a throne in there, and they're going to have somewhere where they store all of their like loot as yeah. well. But for the most part, it's living quarters. They'll have big bonfire area, and the pariahs and the gathers will be allowed in. But... It really is for the um, higher castes and also uh, where you would keep the slaves. So the pariahs would live outside and then come into the mine to deal with the slaves. So this they don't want the slaves on the outskirts because then they'll try to escape. Yeah. Right? We, now, I know that we talked about a lot of goblin stuff in way back in episode 22. Yeah. Uh, so like over 80 episodes ago <laughs> um, in Goblinoids, uh, what was that? Food? Foes or fools, I think we call them. And I know we talked about them a lot um, in the last episode. We're going to talk about hobgoblins next episode. But now that we have a little bit of a better idea for goblinoid society, Dan, how do you feel about using this in a campaign? Is it fleshed out enough? Would you do more? Are you going to focus on this? How often do, do the goblinoid society or societal ideas work their way into your campaign? Every single time. Um, the one thing I really like is this, this that I now will be using more from going forward is the Buyags and, and their, um, this kind of grasp of this wild magic within them. Um, they have a definite feeling of a very well-established society, one that could be a bit more of a threat uh, like a lot of the, like to a lower tier party or to a city, a goblin, uh, a goblinoid hovel moving in to an area around a city or a village or something is a bigger threat than just, hey, go kill those six goblins. 
Nah, man, there are dozens of these motherfuckers, and they are, they've got roots. And frankly, if there's enough resources for them to be able to continue to feed themselves and have a reason to stay, they could end up numbering in the hundreds after a generation or two. Yeah. This could be a real problem. I can picture there being entire towns and villages that have been abandoned because the goblins have moved in. Yeah. Um, if this gives you an opportunity, you actually mentioned the abandoned town here. Like this gives you the opportunity to your party comes across an abandoned town and it's not full of undead. Cause you know, the, the second you come across this old abandoned ruined village, everyone's going to think, Oh, there's going to be ghosts and stuff or nah, zombie man. horde moved through uh, it. Or, yeah. No, it is just, and like, you just have this place looted. You have glass shattered across the streets. You have doors open on one hinge or shutters slamming in the breeze right yeah and it's it's not your mimic town which looks perfect but is just quiet yeah right this has been a raided town and there are no items inside because all of the tables and chairs all of the tools all of the clothing has been taken except for stuff that i feel a bunch of hunters would have polished and like left just to catch the eye of a wandering by adventurer and then imagine an entire series of encounters of an abandoned village that your party has to go figure out. And it is just goblin ambushes everywhere. I love it. I think that that is a fantastic idea. And you can even do this to a tier two party. Oh, yeah. Yeah, if, man. If you have enough goblins and if you if you have really put the time and effort into your design, you can do this to a tier three party. Have, have the goblins like... Uh, uh, Buster Keaton had that whole stunt where he had that side of the building fall and he was like yeah, standing yeah. through the window. Do that to your party. Just don't tell them where to stand. <laughs> Just drop the walls on them. It'll be fun. <laughs> It'll be fun. You are a bad person. So I'm a good DM. <laughs> <laughs> Those two things are the same. So, <laughs> we're all thinking it. So no, one of the things that I really like is the idea that they get into town and then like, and it's a walled town with a gate and the gate closes behind them and they're stuck in the town. And there's going to be that one booyah caster somewhere in there. <laughs> Welcome to Thunderdome, bitch. <laughs> no, that is going to shut down their ability to teleport out. So now you have to get out and it's just attrition. You will never get a short rest in here. They're coming for you. I also You're like the idea of having like, if it's a big enough town, you could hear the booyahs chanting multiple booyogs or you could hear the goblins chanting just on the edges of the town and by the time you get there they're already moved on to another town so there's just this constant noise in this in this town and you could stay at night but you are getting a level of exhaustion during that long rest because you're not sleeping well because you just hear the the goblins chanting throughout the entire town yeah i look I really like the idea of the of the ambush for the goblin. Goblins will ambush. That is what they do. Yeah. They they are very rarely going to be in direct confrontation unless they think they will win. Now, the lashers, whether or not they have magic abilities, um, will be a threat. The hunters will definitely be more aggressive. But if you're going to deal with an actual goblinoid encampment, there's going to be a ton of non-combatant goblins in there. Mm -hmm. And that's another thing to think about. You know the the um, argument in D&D, &D, do you kill the orc baby? Uh, yeah, yeah. When you raid the goblin encamp uh, encampment and you go down into the mines and you free the slaves. And then you find just 
a room full of cowering goblins that are spawning pool or something. No, 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 no. They're just dirty and they're hiding in the pantry. These are the pariahs. Oh yeah. Every time that you have a fight, three goblins run away. And it's because they're not hunters. They're not lashers. They're not booyog. They are. They've disappeared because they're non-combatants. What do you do when you find a room of twelve cowering goblins? I'm just getting a bunch of mental images of like uh, goblins with like little flowers sticking out of their ears and like weaved baskets full of like berries you're, you're, and mushrooms. You're villagers, right? Yeah, like yeah. Th- these are your little goblin villagers. And I can tell you right now, Megan would take pity on them. David would blow them up. Right. Terry would hunt every single last one of them down and slowly kill them. You would try to get them all on your side to be NPCs that follow you. There are different ways. And I would want a name for each of them. Uh, And I would have a name for each of them. Yes, you would. Yeah. Um, But but before we cut to a commercial, I just, it's something to think about. Non-combatant goblins. And there's actually a shit ton of them. Probably more than 50% are non-combatants. Still slavers. Still hating your gods, still neutral evil, but they're not going to murder. Yeah. What do you do with that when you're not the murder hobo party? And that's another reason that I like goblins and why they're so different from some of the other hordes. Like every zombie is a combatant. Every knoll is a combatant. Most orcs are going to be a combatant. Uh, I mean, yes, yes. They're raised... To be warriors. Goblins aren't. Goblins exist. Goblins exist. Kobolds exist. Yeah. Right? Like, what do you do? Do you exterminate everyone? I ran a one-shot online a couple of months ago in COVID, and they got into the uh, the Kobold Warrens, and they murdered everyone. They went egg stomping. Goblin... Oh, Kobold eggs. Kobold eggs. Yeah, okay. Yeah. So, So, there are... Different kinds of parties that are going to handle this in different ways. If you've got one of these morally gray area parties or a party full of people that will not agree. And I don't mean paladin versus rogue. I don't mean barbarian versus wizard. I mean the personalities of your players around the table. It would be really cool to give them a goblinoid um, encampment or lair full of non-combatants. Where you guys are the boogeymen. Anyway, let's cut to a commercial. Hello, podcast people. Podcast people? We're recording. Yes, but it makes them sound like pod. We're recording. You're recording. Fuck. Hello, podcast people. We've got a couple of things going on that you might not know about, and so we thought we'd cut away to a little reminder. First of all, we just want to point everyone to our YouTube channel again. We appreciate that all of you listen on your respective favorite podcast apps, but the It's a Mimic YouTube page has all of our shows laid out in playlists. That means you can listen to our Dragon episodes back-to-back or dig through the Campaign Builder or touring the Multiverse series without scrolling through the backlog or having to use a search function. New episodes get uploaded within a week of airing on Spotify or Apple Podcasts or whatever, but the whole backlog is up there. Even the episodes we're embarrassed about. Yeah, fuck, those early cold opens were sloppy. Yeah. And delicious. The other thing we want to hey, mention... Dan, it, what? You, you know what else is sloppy but delicious? Whatever you're going to say next is just going to get cut, so... Well, uh, the other thing we want to mention is our sneaky little store that lives an unassuming little life on our website. There are stickers, magnets, phone cases, notebooks... Cups, water bottles, coffee mugs, and travel wait, mugs. Wait, wait, I could have a mug? I'm tired of your ugly mug already, man. I want a mug. 
We even have masks in a variety of sizes because we're socially conscious people. The current designs are for the It's a Mimic Mike and the Deep Dark Irradiance logo, but we'll be updating the store as time goes on. How big are the mugs? I don't know. There's a standard one and a tall one. And a travel mug too. Jesus, I need to look at this website more often. So please take a second to check out what we have to offer. We really appreciate the donations we've received through the website, but we want to make sure that you guys have the option of getting something for your hard earned money. Every little bit helps keep the lights on and the side projects rolling. And we love you for your support. So thank you to everyone out there who visits www.itsamimic.com and checks out our online store there. <laughs> hey, there's even a little pin with the logo on it. And don't forget to check out the YouTube channel for perusing the older episodes. Now, without any further delay, let's head back to the show. Jesus, three different kinds of stickers, Dan. We are capitalist whores. Will you please take these damn commercials seriously? No. Normally, people think of goblins as being sneaky, crafty, and mean, but it doesn't always occur to them that there might be the odd magic user among some of the basic goblin ranks. In fact, there are a lot of different kinds of goblins that can give some fun variety to your goblin encounters, but the info is kind of hidden, like I said before, on the pages of Volo's yeah, Guide to yeah. Monsters. So you're not going to find any of these fallen creatures by looking up goblin stat blocks in any of the books. So let's jump over to the others and see what they've been able to figure out from their research. And of course, because she scares me, I'd like to start with Megan. Alright, hey guys, uh, so Megan here at Castle Ravenloft, as uh, seems to be the norm right now. It's not much new here, it's still very dark, and a lot of tombs are open, so I feel like we're kind of getting to the end of this main project here. Um, I've actually come outside today, I don't know if... Um, if I needed it, but to be honest with you, I did, don't much care for the sun anymore. But uh, anyways, so I'm kind of excited to be back to kind of chat more about goblins. Last we chatted, I kind of gave some info about goblin bosses. But what I didn't have kind of time to get into was sometimes that those boss goblins could be magic users. Well, technically every goblin is kind of born with that ability, which is something that I learned, which is hilarious. But not many will actually kind of like rise to the occasion to be taught or, you know, will there any be anybody that could teach them how to utilize those abilities? Um, nor do they actually have that, you know, intelligence to be able to pass the information down to like the next generation. So sometimes it just dies after a couple of generations. Um, so in fact, like magic to them is so rare that they have a different name for it. They call it Booyog. There are a few different ways that you can have a goblin in your games come across magic, or again, what they call Booyog. Uh, first is what they call the Booyog Caster. So this is your goblin who kind of served under like a hobgoblin wizard, or just happened to have like a peek at their spell book and learned basic magic skills through like replication, um, or just those simple things that they kind of picked up through, you know, serving their master. So as a character, they can get a first level wizard spell and utilize their intelligence score, of course, as the spellcasting ability, which I think is kind of funny for goblins because, you know, they don't necessarily usually have a high intelligence. Uh, so this could be a lot of fun uh, for role playing moments, uh, especially if they're trying to learn or figure out the spells that they're kind of adhering to. Um, or it'd be interesting to have like a goblin on your team that's just following the wizard around, like learning what they're doing because they just have such a deep interest in learning their spells and suddenly one day it casts a fireball at you by accident. Anyways, lots of room for hilarity there. Um, another way that they can kind of have magic is what they call a booyah wielder. Uh, so this is one of my actual favorite ones. So imagine a goblin like comes across the wreckage of a mighty battle that a group of heroes, maybe your group of heroes or a different group of heroes, kind of conquered a big, big bad. And a little goblin comes across, you know, the big, big bad's magical weapon. 
that was kind of like disposed of or dropped or left or, you know, the group didn't think to pick it up and it's just been left there. Uh, this is basically what a Buyug wielder is. They've picked up this weapon, they've learned how to use it, and that's where their magic kind of is channeled and comes from. So it's just luck and happenstance, which I think, again, leaves a lot of room for hilarity. Like, find if they find, like, a wand of wonder or, like... Um, a deck of many things or something, right? And then this goblin walks around thinking it's hot shit because it's got these magical capabilities, but really it just comes from um, a magical item. So anyways, awesome to me. Uh, so the third is I'm going to speak a little bit about their god or entity that they kind of follow uh, should they be imbued with magic by one of these, by their god. Uh, I'm going to call them Kurg. So they have, um, they basically imbue them with these magical capabilities that are specific to being able to enslave other goblins uh, to be able to do their bidding, right? Like basically making a slave of a slave of a slave. So it's kind of like basically under their god's guidance that they do their jobs, right? So I feel like these are your evil clerics of goblins. Uh, so these guys are kind of referred to as the Buyug Whip. Um, kind of get it? They're whipped. That's... <laughs> what all that I can think of. Uh, this one is particularly interesting because it is thought that Kirk does often agree, doesn't often, sorry, agree to be the patron of goblins and allow them to have followers, and yet this is very specifically tied to them. So I, I wonder what your thoughts are on this and where you think some of this magic kind of comes from, or what kind of magic do you think they would have if they were connected to this god? Um, but yeah, that's my main question for you guys here. But honestly, in a game, I would love to have a Booyog Wielder with some kind of magical stupid item that would just cause a whole heck of a lot of chaos for your party, and it would take your party a long time to figure out where that chaos is coming from, because no one would believe that the random goblin they picked up on the side of the road that they've suddenly fallen in love with, that if it died, they would riot, is causing chaos with some kind of a magical hidden weapon while it's trying to learn how to use it. Um, anyways, lots of room for hilarity there. But yeah, I would like to know what you guys think about the whip and the magic that's kind of imbued with these guys and what do you think that would kind of be. But yeah, I will throw it back to you. Thank you so much for checking in. Um, I feel like I need it now more than ever, uh, much like other people. So um, you guys have a great day and uh, chat soon. Oh, Megan, you're always so polite, but you don't fool us. Okay, so the god that Megan called Kurg is actually Kurgorbayog, uh, who I've been talking about this whole time. So even though Maglubiat raffle stomped him way back when <laughs> he's still sneaking around and he's given that magical power over to his peeps specifically those who pray to him devout goblins is a fucking weird concept to me but i feel like booyog whips are how you're gonna get healers among the ranks okay uh or you know evil magic oppression because i figured that's gotta be why they're called whips they've got to be called whips for a reason well i mean you you have Kagorbayog's thing is a whip, right? Right, and but I mean, I don't picture them. While you could get healing magic in there, I would assume that most of the magic that Kagorbayog is going to give you is going to be with the intent purpose of enslaving. Yeah, you got to keep your slaves alive, though. Got to keep them True. alive to dig. So Kagorbayog got his ass kicked because he was a god, and Maglubiat was was hunting down gods. And maybe he's just sneaking around behind Maglubiat's back, giving minor powers to some goblins while publicly denouncing his worship. Like, I, I can't quite figure out how he's... Maglubiat doesn't want anyone praying to anyone except himself. He left Kagorbayag alive 
So why is Gorbachev giving these powers out? How is he doing without getting fucking, um, like, smacked around by Maglubiot? I, I just think he's sneaking around and doing it behind Maglubiot's back. I mean, yeah, you see with a lot of the Hobgoblin gods and stuff like that, they point towards Maglubiot. So, I mean, these... These gifts from Korbayag could be given. K- Kagorbayag. Kagorbayag could be given as a uh, directional thing. Like I just think it's more goblin-y if they're sneaking about. Yeah, fair enough. I just think like that fits a little bit more. The goblin god is going to be as sneaky as the goblins are. But remember, Maglubiat came in and took over the pantheon. He could be a fucking elven god. Oh, I didn't even think about that. Right. He's from outside the Pantheon, and he came in and took over. That's interesting. I never thought about that before until right now. Something to think about. Where did Maglubiot come from? These whips have got some great uh, flavor to them when you start considering that stuff. What is less flavorable to me, though, is the Booyag Caster. How often are the PCs going to get into the backstory of a random mob character? Oh, not very. No, especially one who could surprise them with magic. Yeah, no. Normally, that's uh, that's a, that's a death sentence. It is right. Even if that magic is like a light spell, that goblin cast light, kill it. Pretty much. Yeah, you tend to target those guys. It feels uh, all this feels a lot more rev- like a reversed engineered justification for why a goblin can cast magic missile. Honestly, it feels a little bit lazy, which is okay in my opinion. But let's be honest, goblin encounters can get boring really, really quickly. So adding any of today's options is just going to be more worthwhile in the long run. Yeah, um, I, I think you're right. I mean, having a justification is good in case they end up interrogating that one guy that cast Firebolt. Yeah. Sure, fuck. What, like, you do you. I don't care. But um, but no, for for the long run, you're right. Focus on dynamic encounters that are interesting as opposed to to just those four goblins with that with crossbows again, right? So But when it comes to the Booyog wielder, it's just it's hilarious and ridiculous to me, and it gives an amazing opportunity to blindside the party with something surprisingly funny, uh, chaotic, or deadly. How many times have parties infiltrated a dungeon crawling with goblins? in an effort to get some magical MacGuffin, just to have MacGuffin waiting in a chest at the end. Yeah. Like, I fucking hate that. This is an awesome opportunity for players to see the power in action before they get their hands on the item itself. I want there to be more goblins just holding magical items <laughs> and going, and it shoots. And I always, I think their verbal command should always be booyog. Oh, Yes. Even if it's not the regular trigger word, when it, when a goblin taps into the weave, Booyog will do. Yeah. So, and they cast, like, whatever it is, they will hold up the trinket and go, bah! and then three things in the room randomly turn invisible. They don't control it. It's just crazy random bullshit. And I don't think it should ever be used the way they want it to be used. Because how many times do we see uh, such and such power or item or whatever needs to be used by a spell caster? Yes. Goblins are not spellcasters inherently, and yet they can use it anyway. I feel like Booyog is a blunt force trauma of verbal component <laughs> to get this shit going, but it's not going to work properly. I completely agree. Uh, now, 
You'll notice that all of those goblins that Megan was talking about were just your regular goblin stat block with a couple of additional details. You're still going to get your small neutral evil goblinoid um, that you're expecting. But there are a couple of other goblins that don't use the goblinoid stat block. But before we go any further, we can't talk about goblin spellcasters without covering the naturally gifted embodiment of true chaos, the Booyog Booyog Booyog. That's the name of the episode. Yeah. yeah. So Nick, who's never been on the podcast before, is actually one of Dan's oldest friends, if not your oldest friend. Your best friend for years. Yep. Um, he's the guy who got me into Dungeons and Dragons. Yeah, and he's one of the most well-respected dungeon masters that we've ever had the pleasure of knowing. Um, and he is apparently running into real issues with goblins and has some first-hand experience to share with us. All right. I think I lost them. I'm here somewhere. In the woods outside of Neverwinter, I stumbled across this goblin camp. I saw their firelights in the distance. thought they were people. But when I got closer, I could see a ring of goblins all circling. It's one goblin in the center. It was like no other goblin I had ever seen before. They were chanting something in the darkness. Booyog, booyog, booyog. And as the chants grew louder, the goblin in the center raised his hands and began to utter some... Arcane ritual. A great arcane force erupted from his fingertips. There was a storm of ice, searing blasts of fire, raw bolts of arcane power. The wretched thing even lifted into the air and flew around the camp for a few minutes. Suddenly, they noticed me standing there. I tried to drive him off by throwing rocks at him. To my shock, they were deflected by some invisible barrier that surrounded him. I knew then that I was not dealing with any ordinary goblin. In a puff of mist, this so-called goblin, Booyog, 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 suddenly stood before me. Although he seemed no physically fiercer than any of his other goblin cohort, I could see in his beady black eyes a wicked intelligence and cunning. The goblin's bare flesh was circumscribed in a patchwork of tattoos, arcane sigils, and bits of forgotten lore in a myriad of languages. Clearly this goblin had gone to great trouble to educate himself perhaps to raise his esteem in the eyes of his goblin clan, or perhaps for other more nefarious purposes. I tried to flee, but the goblin easily kept pace with me, nimbly dodging and ducking aside from my counterattacks. I feared that even if I could pierce his magical armor, the goblin's dark power would have imbued it with enough vigor to easily shrug off several of my blows. Suddenly this booyog, booyog, booyog stopped and began to speak. Not in goblin, as I had heard it chanting before, but in the common tongue. His sorcerous words issued an irresistible suggestion. He bade me to stop, surrender, and accept my grim fate. But something happened then that I don't think the goblin intended. No sooner had he spoken those words aloud than a long, ridiculous beard of animal feathers sprouted from his chin, drooping down to his stubby knees. The other goblins, having finally caught up to us in the clearing, saw this gross indignity befall their sorcerer and erupted into riotous laughter. The goblin sorcerer, furious and indignant, could not help himself from sneezing, scattering the feathers in all directions, and causing the other goblins to laugh even harder. The humiliated Booyog, 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 attempted to turn himself invisible, but only succeeded in transforming himself into a handsome potted fern. With the sorcerer incapacitated, and the other goblins far too busy amusing themselves at his expense, I was able to slip away in the confusion. The Booyog 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 is a CR6 goblinoid creature, taking the mage template and applying standard goblin traits, including dark vision and the nimble escape 
special ability. The Booyog 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 has an AC of 12, typically bolstered to 15 with mage armor, and has 9d8 hit dice. This powerful goblin sorcerer has good saves in intelligence and wisdom at plus 6 and plus 4, respectively, and has spell slots up to 5th level. Upon a successful casting of any spell, Booyog 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 rolls on the wild magic table, as per the wild magic sorcerer trait. Anyway, I think I've spent far too long crouched here in the bushes. I can hear the goblins' voices starting to fade in the distance. Thanks for listening to my story. I'll pass it back to you guys. Okay, so we're using the mage stat block. Let's break down what the mage stat block says. Okay, yeah. first of all, uh, it's a medium humanoid of any race. Of course, it's small. You're talking about a goblin. It's a goblin, yeah, it's small. Right, um, and they get the nimble escape, right, um, which is just everything that goblinoids get. Um, it can do, you be, give, do you give them Fury of the Small? No. Okay. Um, no, because Fury of the Small is a player boon. And it is specifically in Ravnica. No, it isn't. It's in Volos. Okay, cool. Um, so they come with an AC of 12, but that's 15 with Mage Armor. They've got 98 hit points and their speed is 30 feet. It's weird that all goblins have 30 foot movement. I, uh, I, no. The, no, no, no. It's weird that a small creature has 30-foot movement, but they're just speedy little bastards. Yeah, yeah. Like, I, their legs just move faster than gnomes. They're, they're, they're small creatures on crack, is basically what they are. They just move. It's funny. I A lot of people play them with, with ADHD, like they are on crack or something, and I just, I don't do it that way. They're just you play energetic. Them a, yeah, yeah. You play them a lot more malicious than I do as well. Yeah, they can be. Yeah. Um, now, a mage has an intelligence modifier of plus three. Um, and a wisdom and decks uh, that are higher, and their charisma, con, and strength are like the low end of average. That all really tracks for a goblin. Yeah, I would even do a further m- manipulation of that, just because it's small. I'd lower that strength a little bit more. Yeah, sure. Um, they they get intelligence and wisdom uh, boosts to their saving throws. Arcana is a plus six. History is a plus six. I don't know if I would port that over because remember, they don't know about magic. They're just wielding it. So being able to just identify that this is the kind of spell school is... I wouldn't have them be able to do that. Shit. This is like the direct channeling of Kogorbayog through them in my in my mind. I'm okay with giving them that. But I would definitely like, not in their own voice, these tidbits of wisdom come out. So they have that as a mechanical role but the flavor of it coming through is definitely going to be more of a, like... I, I would just make it a religion check because it's Kurgorbiog that's doing it. Sure, yeah. Um, their passive perception is 11. Honestly, I would look at the goblin stat block for their passive perception. I'm not going to pull it off the mages. They get any four languages, which I'm not going to fucking do for goblins, for the Booyog, Booyog, Booyog. Again, I would have that, the Kurgorbiog speaking through them. But what four languages would Kogorbayog know? Whatever they need for that party. It, it would be that situation where the party's talking do, to each other in a language. Think, do you think all gods know all languages then? Um, I, I just I, don't see... All gods know all active languages. I just don't see that they would... That any goblin would know how even even a Booyog, Booyog, Booyog would... And remember, this is not Kogorbayog. Kogorbayog is, is dealing with the casters. Yeah. Right? With the whips, rather. So... He's not dealing with the booyog, booyog, booyog. So they just innate, like innately know this. So this is the sorcerer 
Not the not the cleric. Yes, but I look at where the goblins would have gotten this bloodline of magic from, and it is most likely one to of them, be from Gorbayog. No, unless someone banged a dragon way back when. Why the fuck not? Uh, both of them make sense. I guess would be my argument. I, I would look at the uh, wild magic sorcerer and see where do you get it from there, and you're not getting it from a god. I I mean, if you're a celestial, you could be. No, specifically the wild oh, magic yes, yeah, sorcerer yeah, wild magic is not sorcerer. getting yeah. it from a god. So um, it does list them as a CR6, which is important to note. CR6, I will come back to that. But they get, they're ninth level spellcasters. They get cantrips, firebolt, light, mage hand, and prestidigitation. That's dangerous, the yep. mage hand on a goblin. Uh, first level, detect magic, mage armor, which should be the first thing they cast. Yep. And magic missile. And of course they get shield, so they're even harder to hit. These guys should live. Yes. They should be the last man standing. Uh, Misty Step yep. and Suggestion. Okay. Counterspell, Fireball, and Fly for third level. I love... Fly for me is just hovering two feet above the ground, right? And just being like, I am Boyog, Boyog, Boyog! And just being like, scary exorcist hovering. Cool. Yeah, I'm with it. Um, greater Invisibility and Ice Storm. I don't know why Ice Storm, but why not? Give them an AoE that, like that. Yep. Sure. And then Cone of Cold. So we're getting Elemental. So I don't that know. That fits with Wild Magic. Yeah. I don't know if they necessarily fucked a dragon, but they might have been imbued with an Elemental's essence somewhere. The other the other way Wild Magic Sorcerers, because I, I did just do a little look on it. The other way they get the power is by being too close to a portal to another plane. Man, that is all about... Like, goblins will be in there doing that. Goblins shit. would be in there doing that, like digging deep into some cave that got closed down because they found a uh, thin veil between here and the elemental plane of cold. Yeah, yeah, sure. So they also are going to get a dagger attack. Sure, I don't care. I would just give them the regular goblin attacks. It doesn't fucking matter. If your Booyag 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 is attacking with a sword or a dagger or using a physical attack, you're doing your job wrong. Or they've knocked up an anti-magic field, right? Yeah. But I mean, or... You know, his back is against the wall and you have three spellcasters with counterspell. Yeah. <laughs> right, prep. Sure. But again, you've designed your encounter yeah. to be that. It says here in the flavor text that mages spend their lives in the study and practice of magic. They're all about experimentation. They've got uh, variant is, uh, familiars. I would not include this shit with the, with the goblin. Even the familiar bit. Oh, he's got a pet slug. Fuck, man, he's goblin number eight. He can just cast spells. Like, yeah. I'm not getting into it unless I plan on him being an NPC. If he is a bigger uh, NPC or big bad evil guy for like a... Oh, CR6, right? So you can have a tier one bad guy. Yeah. Be a booyah, booyah, booyah. It tracks that he might have a pet. Now, we also see that they are these mages, these learned creatures, but they get the wild magic table, which is on the sorcerer list. Which I love. Which I, I, I love to no end. Um, however, there is some things that I would take out and modify from this list. As we said when we did the Sorcerer's episode that covered Wild Magic, modify your Wild Magic yeah. table to fit. There's going to be some things that just don't make sense for a goblin, I guess. Sure, like what? What do you uh, got? Um, well, uh, let's, let's go down the list here. Um, flumps appearing. I wouldn't have flumps up here to help a goblin. No, you're right. I mean, that's a little weird, but I might have wargs. Wargs, uh, well, like yeah. A, a warg uh, will pop up or 
Um, he accidentally summons three more goblins, yeah. right? Uh, you regain all used sorcery points. You don't get sorcery points. You get spell slots. Sure. Right? That's stuff like that I would do. Um, however, honestly, other- you're not going to go through your spell slots anyway. You're probably a one encounter. If if you do. Yeah. Yikes. Um, however, some things I think are particularly hilarious with a goblin. Now, that the wild magic surge table is a D100 thing where every other option gets you. So, like, one and two is one thing. Three and four is one thing. Yeah, there's 50 right? options. There's yes. 50 options here. We don't have the time or the capacity to go through each one. So, I'm not going to. But what I will do is point out some fun ones that I think a goblin could roll that would be hilarious. Like number ten, uh, number 11 and 12, which is where your height grows by the number of inches that you roll on the dice. So now you have a tall booyag, booyag, booyag. And I would have this have happened beforehand. So you walk up to this goblin and he is just a tall ass goblin. And I would specifically have his torso and his head be the same size. He just gained 10 inches of leg. You're a fucking weird person, Dan. I I love it. You are (laughs) just an odd one. What else you got? Give me two more. Two more. Um, Polymorph. Of course. Always good for everything wild magic. That is my standard. Yeah. When I think of wild magic, I think of polymorph. Um, 61 to 62. For the next minute, you must shout when you speak. Here's the other thing that I... <laughs> oh, God, you'd just be like you then, Dan. Hey. Um, here's the other thing that I like about this. If you have him in and around a bunch of different... Comp- oh, sorry. That's the other thing about this is it happens every time he casts a spell. Hard stop, period. Yep. The wild magic table goes off. So I love the idea of there being a booyog, booyog, booyog in and among a group of 14 goblins. But when he casts wild magic, the effect hits a different goblin. Oh, yes. So now you've got, it's almost like Gremlins 2. All the different crazy <laughs> just, goblins This booyog is casting the spell and, you know, goblin A, two, like this hunter, two goblins down in a Ooh. diagonal, grows a two foot long beard made of feathers. Yeah. And, and it's just so confused. Which, by the way, is a 17 or 18 on the wild magic table. I, I really like the idea of the one that's like sneaking up behind them that suddenly goes bloop and it's like twice the size, right? Like it, it could be a lot of fun and wackiness with this. But it could also be powerful where he casts a spell and the goblin in the front lines gets mirror image. Yeah. Or what I would do as well is if I'm going to open it up to hit every goblin, I would have it hit every creature. That includes your players. Nothing on the wild magic table is crippling. Uh, uh, there are a couple of things that are an inconvenience. <laughs> Fireball, mandatory fly. Um, I mean, you straight up explode. <laughs> like there's, right. there's but, things but on it's, this But list. it's not the deck of many things. Is my no, point. that's true. I can hit a party with this shit, and I'm the odds of me rolling three fireballs at them, right when they're level four, are fucking low. I yeah. This could also mess up your encounter, so be prepared to be flexible when it comes to your encounters. Oh yeah, yeah right because. Yeah. Level six, big bad evil guy, turns into a potted plant in the first round. Yeah. Right? Uh, What do you do? So. Okay. So, it looks like Dave is actually still touring around Eberron, but he's found a quiet corner of Sharn to duck into, so he can tell us what he's discovered about a kind of goblin that's imbued with magic, seemingly against its will. Are there quiet corners of Sharn? Oh, yeah. Okay. Hey, guys. Dave here. Uh, I just got into Sharn a couple days ago. 
And uh, while I've been continuing my search for information on this draconic prophecy, I've been listening to some locals, and I came across this interesting, uh, this interesting creature called a, a Buyag slave. These particular creatures are slaves to their warlock patron. In fact, if they disobey their warlock patron, uh, the patron will kind of take it out on them in less than pleasant ways, okay? Now, uh, these can often be uh, a coven of hags or, or fiends or maybe a lich or a vampire. Now, for the uh, undying patrons, there is more information about them in, in the Sword Coast Adventures Guide, but there is no stat block in there for them, okay? Uh, however, one of the ones I wanted to go through uh, in particular is the Warlock of the Great Old One, okay? Now, these guys have pacts with eldritch beings from distant planes and realms. These guys can work with cultists that are devoted to these ancient beings, uh, and they're experts at identifying traces of the Great Old Ones in the world and maybe their influences on uh, what's going on. Uh, these guys are super, super awesome. And they're very interesting just from like a personal standpoint. I find the idea of the Great Old Ones to be uh, absolutely enthralling. So a Warlock of the Great Old One uh, gets an AC of 12, but if they use Mage Armor, it's boosted up to 15. Their hit points are 14 D8 plus 28 and a regular speed of 30 feet. Now its strength is a little below average, while its Dex, Con, Intelligence, and Wisdom are above average. Its Charisma, which is the Warlock's spellcasting ability, uh, is 18. So it's like super, super good. They're very charismatic, okay? Uh, for their saving throws, they get Wisdom and Charisma. Their skills are Arcana and History. They are resistant to psychic damage as well. They get uh, Dark Vision of 60 feet and a relatively good passive perception. They do know any two languages and get telepathy up to 30 feet. These guys are a CR6, okay? Now, with their innate spell casting, they get a couple of at-will spells. They can cast Detect Magic, Jump, Levitate, Mage Armor on themselves only and Speak with Dead. Also, once per day, they get Arcane Gate and True Seeing. Now, these Warlocks are a 14th level caster, uh, and of course they use Charisma as their casting ability. They get their spell slots back at the end of a short or long rest, okay? Now, for their Cantrips, which they can cast at will, it's Chill Touch, Eldritch Blast, Guidance, Mage Hand, Minor Illusion, Prestigitation, and Shocking Grasp. Uh, and its first to fifth level spells are Armor of Agathus... Arms of Hadar, Crown of Madness, Clairvoyance, Contact Other Plane, Detect Thoughts, Dimension Door, Dissonant Whispers, Dominate Beast, Telekinesis, and Vampiric Touch. They also get an ability called Whispering Aura, which at the beginning of their turn, a creature within 5 feet must succeed on a DC 15 Wisdom Save or take 3d6 Psychic Damage, as long as the Warlock is not incapacitated. Uh, they also get a Dagger Attack, which is uninspiring at best. In addition to that, because these guys are goblins, uh, they do get the nimble escape ability as well. So I like the idea of having these guys running around in the background trying to figure out a prophecy in addition to maybe your players doing that as well. They were tasked by their patron to go out and discover uh, more information on this, that, or the next thing and could prove to be a good, like a, an interesting NPC that maybe they bump across at particular points uh, of interest, you know, like, oh, this guy was here, there's signs of this guy here, there's signs of the, the warlock of the Great Old One, these these Booyag slaves uh, that worship the Great Old Ones just kind of kicking around 
um, leaving traces because I mean goblins are messy they aren't exactly good at covering their tracks so maybe these guys are lurking around in the shadows and they pop up and they're fun for a nice little interaction and then they you know screw off again and come back later or maybe not maybe you come across a bunch of them that are working with cultists to try to bring the great old ones uh, into you know the current realm that you're playing in uh, anyways guys uh, i gotta go i got some more work to do on this draconic prophecy if you want to get a hold of me you can find me at r slash it's a mimic the subreddit for the podcast and i'll send it back to you adam and dan so one of the things that really throws me off here is the booyah slave is surprisingly a more potent spellcaster than the booyah 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 uh, this one is. This one has the higher CR rating. Yeah. Um, it's, yeah, it's surprising. It's, and when you look at what it can do with the telepathy that the great old one slave gets. Yeah. I mean, that's powerful. Now, I would say it's still a Booyog, Booyog, Booyog slave. This is going to be one of those situations where the slave could easily overpower the master, but he is enslaved. So your guy's going to sit there and be like, he might not know that he could overpower, but he's going to do what the Booyog 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 says. Yeah, the the other thing that's really interesting about these guys is that, and they don't specifically say this, it's just strongly implied, these are Booyog slaves. Slaves to the magic. Slave to the patron. Yeah. You can have them, there can be a, a cult towards a great old one with a goblin running it and he will that may seem a little bit funky at first but with this this warlock stat block that's going to hit hard like he still has the ability to do this especially with the nimble escape yeah um so for spell casting um yeah like dave said they get the spell save dc of 15 and plus seven to hit with spell attacks these are goblins yeah this is a cr6 right goblin goblin which is the freaking same as the damn um, Booyag, Booyag, Booyag. But their cantrips and, and spells are so much more... Um, combat-oriented. Yeah, well, not even just combat-oriented. They're they're frightening. They're they're potent. Um, you're going to get Chill Touch, Eldritch Blast, of course. Eldritch Blast, yeah. yikes. Uh, guidance, Mage Hand, Minor Illusion, Prestidigitation, Shocking Grasp. Yep. Like, that's, that's big. And that's just the cantrips. Armor of Agathis, Arms of Hadar, Crown of Madness, Clairvoyance, Contact Other Plane, Detect Thoughts, Dimension Door, Dissonant Whispers, Dominate Beast, Telekinesis, Vampiric Touch. Yikes. When you walk into a group of goblins and they all are dressed the same and one of them suddenly reaches out with Vampiric Touch and hits you, you know that you're in for a weird fucking run on this this makes these guys really really worthwhile for a tier three encounter yeah that and their background like their their other trait the whispering aura um and like at the start of each turn anyone within five feet has to make the dc 15 wisdom save or 3d6 psychic damage you're gonna wipe out a party yeah you are going to be that spellcaster that the barbarian and the fighter run up to you to wipe you out. And with your 14 D8 plus 28 hit points and your 15 with your mage armor up, AC. And not including the fact that you already have armor of Agathis up. Yeah, right? you are hitting over and over and over again with this just kind of passive 
ability. These guys are far more potent than the Booyog, 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 who's given people feather beards, right? Like, oh, it could be fireballs. You just um, yeah. don't know with the, with yeah. the Booyog, Booyog, Booyog. I like this. I like it a lot. I like the idea of there being goblins that have been, like, every goblin has been subjugated to the will of this. How would you put these guys in a campaign? Either my my Cthulhu is going to be the big bad, and so I can throw groups of these guys at level, you know, 11, 12, 14 at the party. I love this because your party will have been dealing with, like, tentacle-themed cultists for 12 levels, and then they come across this one sect of the cult that is just goblins. Yeah. Right. Or or they, they know that oh he moved the the great old one moved into goblin territory. What are you what are you looking at here, right? I'd also be leaning on the Dolgaunts and Dolgrims from Eberron oh, for this yes, as well. For sure. Uh for the great old ones. I like I think that's a lot of fun. I would also have them just be the one, hey, you know what? This guy says we all need to do this. And so he's running the little goblin tribe. Yeah. Uh, but I wouldn't necessarily have them as a part of a regular host. Oh, no. Um, and most hosts actively discourage Booyogs and Booyog slaves and Nilbogs and stuff from being within them. Yeah. I think that they might like to have a wielder or a whip. Yep. But no, the Booyog, Booyog, Booyog or the Adds Booyog too whip, much chaos uh, to the mix. Yeah, exactly. So what do you do in a campaign with them? Honestly, man, I, I love the idea... Um, and, and this might not be appropriate, might not be meta, but the fact that they are Booyog slaves, I like the idea of having a Booyog, 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 the, the full three Booyog, um, running a slave camp that maybe is just either a goblin camp that he has just taken over himself. Like this is the Booyog, Booyog, Booyog and a Nilbog get together and just cause shit. And they have gathered these things around them. And yes, these um, slaves might be a little bit more powerful than the Booyog, Booyog, Booyog. But they have enslaved humans, halflings, gnomes, ogres, other creatures that have these abilities with them as well. I don't think it necessarily strictly has to be a goblin that has gotten this power gifted onto them. We're specifically speaking about goblins I know with we're this speak- power. I know we're spe- specifically speaking about goblins with this power. But we've seen with other goblinoid uh, hosts and other goblins that because they are so focused on slavery, if someone has just been a slave of this tribe of goblins for X amount of years, they might not know any different and thus have become one of these things, had this boon gifted on them to serve the booyog 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 right it's funny and, and because it's great old one i would definitely do some mental fuckery with these guys where they are almost zombified and are just additional founts of magic that the booyog 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 controls ultimately but so you uh, kill the booyog 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 and the booyog slave falls limp on the ground and that's how you deal with that threat it's that's that's so weird to me because i don't see why a great old one would be giving that power in that way. I'm, I'm saying, well, the great old one uh, patron is very much a, um, it, it's kind of ambiguous of what has given that power. I don't see why Kerbiog or Kerborg can't fill the role of a great old one. Because then he it would be a uh, freaking whip. 
I'm specifically in the lore. Kurgor Bayog gives the Buyog whip, like, okay, magic but, and abuse them that way. Then and let's go the other route and say the Buyog, 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 which doesn't, which we have already had the discussion, doesn't necessarily come from a god, but from a weak spot. That could be where, right? And the reason why the old great old one is imbuing these powers on these uh, other goblins or other slaves is because this is going to be his path into this realm. Yeah, it like it it could be. I just don't know. I would not I myself see the word slave here as very different. You're a slave to the magic, you're a slave to the patron. You're not a slave in like you're not a slave within the, the society. I, I, yeah, and it's just how you take that word slave in this context. So I know Terry did a bunch of digging into what the Booyog slave is as well, and he has, in true Terry fashion, focused all of his attention on the darker side of things. Um, he went and dived headfirst into those slaves that worship fiends. Oh, okay. So let's see what he's uncovered. Thank you, Adam and Dan, for passing it back over to me. I'm still over here at the Green Dragon Inn, and we're talking about the Booyog Slave. Uh, from Dave's description earlier, everybody will know that Booyog is, um, is the goblin's word for magic. It's also the goblinoid's word for anybody who practices magic. So a Booyog slave, therefore, means that they would be the slave or servant of a practitioner of magic. And so, therefore, I'm going to talk specifically about the warlock of the fiend. So we're thinking a goblin here that has a warlock patron and now has access uh, to magical abilities, to magic, to Booyog. For the warlock of the fiend specifically, by the flavor text of this warlock, this would be a medium humanoid, any race, any alignment, but we're going to use it in the form of a goblinoid, a goblin. So smaller, alignment, I mean, chaotic evil, depending on how you want to play this character, you could say lawful evil if they're following a fiend such as a devil that has a very specific code that they must follow, but th there's room to do it either way. I'm sure people will tell you that you have to do it a certain way, but you know what? Do what you want. Okay, so armor class, lower or average, 12. 15 with mage armor if you want to go in that direction, that's in the brackets here of the flavor text, but it's not, it's not essential. Hit points here is going to be higher. I suppose you could do this character with a lower amount of hit points, you know, with fewer hit points, but I guess you'd be taking away abilities there if you're thinking sticking true to, to levels. But by the flavor text, we're thinking 12d8 plus 24. For stats, charisma, way high, much higher than average here. 18 plus 4 for your modifier. Um, after that, you're going to see constitution and dexterity, average intelligence and wisdom, lower strength. Saving throws, wisdom, charisma, skills, arcana, deception, persuasion, religion. There's there's nothing there that I think is wildly off um, for a warlock. I mean, religion maybe, but again, this is a very customizable character. Um, you know, specifically if you're doing it as a goblin, there's still a lot of variables there, so I don't have any issues with those. Uh, damage resistance, slashing damage from non-magical attacks, not made with silvered weapons. Senses. Dark vision, passive perception of, ele of 11. Languages, by the flavor text, is any two languages, and it says usually abyssal or infernal. Now, if you're going to be using a goblin, you would think likely, well, definitely goblin, likely common. Perhaps you could throw in the language of the patron as well, so maybe you'd be using abyssal, um, for example. Uh, challenge rating of 7. Let's take a look at the spell casting here. So we're going to get some innate spell casting. 
Um, the, the spell casting ability is going to be Charisma, with a spell save of DC 15, uh, based off of the stats that I've given you so far, uh, and requiring no material components. At will, this Warlock can cast Alder Self, False Light, Levitate, Self only, Mage Armor, Self only, Silent Image. Once per day, Feeble Mind, Finger of Death, and Plane Shift. What I want you guys to start thinking about already is just how incredible some of these spells are for for a creature usually so not I I, I don't like saying feeble-minded for goblins but but simple-minded in in typically very mundane magic is very alien to them it's it, it is feared they they don't even use the right word they have their own word for this crazy phenomenon that exists so imagine a goblin that has suddenly been imbued with these incredible abilities would they themselves be afraid of their own power so I'm thinking of a goblin that has the ability to use Finger of Death. Perhaps that goblin would not be using Finger of Death so confidently. There may be an, another mannerism or thing that they do after they cast a spell like that because they themselves may be afraid of it. Perhaps they will be hesitant to cast these spells as well. But let's look at the rest of their spellcasting. This warlock is a 17th level spellcaster. Spellcasting ability is Charisma. For cantrips, at will, Eldritch Blast, Shocker, Firebolt, Friends, Mage Hand, Minor Illusion, Illusion, Prestidigitation, and Shocking Grasp. First to fifth level, Banishment, Burning Hands, Flame Strike, Hellish Rebuke, Magic Circle, Scorching Ray, Scrying, Stinking Cloud, Suggestion, Wall of Fire. Okay, I mentioned earlier that the goblins are going to think about this magic differently. And another point I want to make here is kind of my own unique ideas. This goblin may not use these spells tactically. It, do, it doesn't, a goblin won't have a tactical mind for magic, it's completely alien to them. They'll maybe recognize that they have a certain ability, but may not know how to use it strategically. For example, you have a spell such as Hellish Rebuke here, which, for those of you that don't know, is, is a reactionary spell after you've taken damage. Well, if a goblin doesn't know how to use that strategically, perhaps this NPC is using Hellish Rebuke by running into the fray knowing that if they are hit, they are going to inevitably cause damage to that enemy. So they may have the use of this kind of reverse where it's, it's, it's that actually, well, no, but yes type moment where it works, but it's not technically how you might use it. Same for banishment. Banishment is typically used to, to banish an enemy. How about a goblin warlock using banishment on themselves because they're trying to get themselves out of trouble? So they know that they will disappear for an entire minute maybe everybody everybody would have left by that point and then they can come back so think of ways that you can now flip this on their head and just imagine yourself if i was really stupid how would i use magic and go from there okay they have an ability called dark one's own luck and this recharges after a short or a long rest when the warlock makes an ability check or saving throw it can add 1d10 to the roll it can do this after the roll is made but before any of the rolls effects occur sure i love little things like this um it's, it just adds a, a, an extra little element of strategy you can do. You know you've got a little bit of an out, but it's not game-breaking. It's, uh, it's just something else that you get to, uh, to bring to the table as well. Don't forget that if we're doing this Warlock as a Goblin, in this situation we would be, they will still have access to those racial traits, so they will still have access to Nimble Escape, and they will still have their Dark Vision from being a Goblin as well. Um, for attacks, by the flavor text here, we're going to see a Mace on this kind of um, Warlock. 
you know, don't feel married to that. It's there if you want to keep it easy. It's in this standard stat block, but you can change the weapon to be something more typical of a goblin. You know, that mace can become a club, for example. Um, it's going to be, uh, it's going to be a one target. It's going to be bludgeoning damage if you go along with the mace. And so there we have it for the Warlock of the Fiend using a goblin. Uh, specifically, the big thing that I would suggest leaning into is that this is a lot of magic for a creature whereby typically they would be very afraid of magic and magic would be very alien to them. Um, so you have to think how, how would a creature use high level magic if they themselves are likely afraid of that magic, if they have never had a strategic mind for magic, so perhaps they're using things incorrectly, um, and how are they going to and how is this magic going to line up with the usual tactics of goblins, which is overwhelming people with numbers, which is using small cavalry to charge into places, um, yeah, maybe using some kind of crude traps. How is this goblin going to react to goblin overlords such as hobgoblins and bugbears where na instinctively they obey these creatures if they have technically more ability than them and the way I want you to think about that is we'll get dark for a second everybody knows that most people's dogs can rip their throat out at any second but for some reason they listen to us so lean into that mentality and I think you'll have a lot of fun uh, with this type of warlock okay Adam and Dan it's over to you I'll talk to you soon Terry's right you should really shift the alignment of the warlock to follow the patron yeah why wouldn't you yeah um, I just think that that makes perfect sense. I, you can go with the neutral evil goblin on this, but I mean, if it's either a archdevil or a demon lord or the fucking night hag, yeah. right? Like you, you find it where you can and, and you go with it. For sure. Yeah. I, I, can we just talk about the damage resistance for a second? Yeah, it's weird. It is. Slashing damage from non-magical attacks not made with a silvered weapon. This is so weirdly specific and I can't figure out why. Normally it's non-magical attacks. Yeah. Or um, like it'll include bludgeoning and piercing. And specifically for this guy, he gets damage resistance to silver blades. So even a silver crossbow at the arrowhead or a silvered mace will hit him normally. Yeah. So it's really, really strange they do this. How often do silvered weapons come up? Never, unless you have a heavy like lycanthrope focused campaign. Yeah, or you're, or it's handed out specifically. Like in, there are a couple of silvered weapons that are mentioned in the Curse of Strahd. But what party member, what adventurer is going to look at a goblin and go, "I need my silver weapon for this one"? I know it's a little bit weird. I don't get it for the for the fiend anyway. Yeah. Like in the first place. It just doesn't are, make any are sense. Are there any fiends that have this same resistance level? I don't think so. Off the top of my head. Oh, well, no. There are a lot of fiends that are just resistant weapons? to silvered weapons. Okay. But they're higher up or they're kind of the weird ones. Okay. Um, I feel like they add that whenever the stat block wasn't all... Like their CR justification wasn't already full. Yeah. You know, there's a little bit of wiggle room for every um, challenge rating. Um, you can add different uh, effects and different uh, okay. traits and stuff. Yeah, yeah. Um, so when it hits a little weak, it's still a CR 15, but it hits weak. They'd give them the silver thing just to make sure it a okay. little bit more. Do we agree that goblin slaves aren't necessarily tactical? I would be offended if they were. It's funny. I, I don't know how I feel about that. I can justify, especially for, um, an arch devil. I can see them being a little bit more tactical. 
I, I could see, uh, I, I see them following orders. Like I, I just have this mental image of all of these Booyog slaves having like, I don't mean strategy. I mean, battlefield tactics. I know battlefield. Yes. I understand what you're saying. Um, to me, there needs to be someone te- like guiding the punches, telling them what to do. Right. So if, if there is no, uh, like commanding officer of these things, they just sit there and they are not. They stand in one spot, they cast spells, you knock them over, they're dead. Yeah. Right? There's not tactics. But if there's someone commanding them, they respond to that, right? They are such a slave to the magic that all will of their own is gone. So they're not going to make that decision that over there is better. Yeah, I guess one of the questions to ask, and this is an odd one. I could probably wax poetic about this for a while, yeah. but, but I'm going to move on. But one of the we questions to ask is, quick. and I'm going to with the goblin right now, from the goblin's perspective, if you don't know how to handle magic and suddenly halfway through your lifespan, you're imbued with it and you become super fucking powerful. These guys are CR7. They're yeah. even more powerful than the other two. Yeah. Right. This is the most powerful uh, wielder that we get, magic wielder. So with all of that in mind... How do they feel about themselves? Are they mad with power? Are they scared every time that they cast something? Are you say like oh, sometimes they I, zombify I, right out? Like it's something to think about when you're building this as a bad guy. I I yes, I completely agree. It's also going to matter completely dependently on what station of life that got like what cast that goblin came from. I see a lasher reveling in the power a pariah however will shit his pants every yeah, time that right yeah um i i like I, I we with the great old one slaves they get that telepathy man like i could just see a pariah not being able to control that and going mad because he hears everyone's voices yeah so there's going to be that one goblin cowering in a corner at least 30 feet away from everybody so he doesn't hear their voices um how do we like the Dark One's own luck ability? That additional 1d10 to ability checks or saves per long rest. Like, how do we like that here? I like it because it's going to fuck with your spellcaster the first time. Like, oh, actually, um, he gets an extra 1d10 to save on this. And they're going to be like, well, shit, I'm not going to do anything with saves ever again. Right? <laughs> but he just got the one. But you don't tell him that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right? So I really like that for, for ability checks. Who gives a fuck? I don't know, man. Grapple. I am not putting my Booyah slave in a situation where he's going to grapple. If they're going to come grapple him, then sure. Yeah, I mean, but I, strength or grappling checks, right? right? That's what I'm talking but about. But he like, can still cast spells while he's grappled, if there's so a, why the fuck wouldn't he? If there's a monk in this party, he's getting grappled. Oh, I don't think so. You're not going to grapple when you're busy doing flurry of blows and shit? Uh, the monk that runs up, flurry of blows this thing, and he's still standing pretty? Well, as pretty as a goblin could be. Because he's got a shit ton of hit points. 12d8 plus 24. Yeah. Your your monk's going to start looking for other options. Yeah. I just I just think that with this guy, especially because he can levitate at will. Um, and <laughs> Come here. Yeah. If he can and, levitate at will, then he's definitely getting grappled. And plane shift. I mean, that, that's his get out of jail free card. Um, I also like the... Uh, look, I really like this. This might be my favorite kind of the Booyog Slaves. Um, just because I like, I, I like them. I mean, look, the art for the actual, um, Warlock of the Fiend that's in Volos, where we're getting all of this information from, uh, has, uh, Warlock with a scepter 
or maybe it's it's a staff, but it has the Demogorgon heads yeah. on it, the dual heads, and he's got a quasit uh, familiar that's sitting on his back, right? That's a lot of fun. Yeah. I really like that, especially for goblins. Again, I'm not going to give a familiar, but I like the idea of flavoring him with, because again, Orcus or Yinagu, or I would I don't think I would do Grest. I just think he's, he's not going to bother with goblins. I, I don't know. A bunch of like BDSM strapped up goblins is a funny visual to me. Meanwhile, it's what Terry has as his desktop background. But I just... It's I, animated. I'm, I'm going to... <laughs> I am I am going to really choose my um, Warlock patron specifically. Yes. Yeah. Right. You're not, you're not mixing and matching here. No. Um, but remember, they just have to be more powerful than the Goblin. It could be a hag or a coven of hags. It could be the General of Gahana. Yeah. You can do whatever you would like here. So, anyway, there are multiple kinds of Booyak Slaves, but the only kind of Warlock stat blocks that are given are the ones in the core books, even if you include Sword Coast Adventures Guide. Um, and those are the... Th- I mean, that's that's it, right? It's just the ones in the player's handbook. Yeah. You're not going to get the Undying, even though it specifically mentions that in Volos. There's no stat block for it. No. You have to kind of build that yourself. So, we've covered Great Old Ones and Fiends. But that leaves just one left from the player's handbook for Brad to cover. And I can't think of a single reason why one of these would be a member of the rank and file in a goblinoid host. This is the weird one, and I don't understand why you would even include this. Any goblin who has garnered the favor of an archfey has to be something weird and unique. Brad here, once again at the Yawning Portal in Waterdeep. Was that Dernan? Yeah, no, I told you. I want to put ten gold on the Asmar losing an eye. Sorry about that. Some adventurers about to try and brave the Dungeon of the Mad Mage, and I wanted to put a few bets on it. Anyways, today we want to talk about some more goblinoids, specifically about the Booyogs. Today we're going to look at the Warlock of the Archfey as a base to use for a Booyog slave. Warlocks of the Archfey have an armor class of 11 and a dis- decent hit pool of around 50. They have a challenge rating of 4, although really that underlies their capability. They are more powerful than you may think. Being casters, they don't have a great strength, but they have a pretty good dexterity, a decent con, a decent int, okay wisdom, but where they really shine is in their charisma, as warlocks, obviously, being charisma casters. They have skills in arcana, deception, nature, and persuasion, and they're actually immune to the charm condition. Warlocks of the Archfey come with innate spellcasting, with a DC spell save of 15 and requiring no material components. At will, they're able to cast Disguise Self, Mage Armor on themselves only, silent image and speak with animals and once a day they can conjure fey warlocks are 11th level spellcasters using obviously charisma as their spellcasting ability and at will their cantrips that they can use are dancing lights eldritch blast friends mage hand minor illusion prestidigitation and vicious mockery for spell slots they have three fifth level spots that they can use on blink charm person dimension door dominate beast fairy fire fear hold monster misty step phantasmal force seeming and sleep. And should they need it, they do have a dagger. Also, as a reaction, they can use Misty Escape, which recharges after a long or short rest. Anytime they take damage, they can turn invisible and teleport 60 feet to an unoccupied space, and they remain invisible until the start of their next turn, or if they make an attack or a damage roll, or if they cast a spell. Warlocks of the Archfey gain their powers through magical packs formed with Lords of the Feywild, and they often commonly associate with lesser fey creatures such as Boggles, Quicklings, Redcaps, Satyrs, and Sprites. These are fantastic goblins to toss into any sort of goblin encampment. Your players are unlikely to see it coming, 
and they bring a lot of flavor to a goblin camp. Being charisma casters, naturally they have a high charisma. Therefore, they're more likely to negotiate with your party, strike up conversation, or be a little more curious perhaps about what your party is doing. And possibly, you could even bring one on board as an NPC. While they still are naturally an evil-aligned character, there's no reason that you could make them a little more neutral, or at least be willing to help out a party, perhaps for a fee. Or perhaps to further their patrons' desires. I'm really interested in some of the spells that are available to these uh, goblinoid warlocks. The fact that they have disguised self, silent image, dancing lights, minor illusion, they really are tricksters and this lets them kind of pull off tricks that you might not see coming, perhaps disguise themselves so the party won't recognize who they are. It's a really cool tools to use. Not to mention they also have the ability to dominate beasts, cast fear, uh, cast sleep, or seeming really lets them kind of mess with people's minds. It really cements the fact that these are not simply your frontal attack kind of warlocks, but they really are working with some subterfuge. I recommend tossing these guys at a party when they least expect it. These guys aren't necessarily going to be up in your face and prominent within a goblin encampment, but they may be hiding or they may be out in the world exploring, and I think there's a lot of opportunity to use them. Hopefully this is giving you some ideas on how to use goblins in a different way. I'd love to hear how you guys use them, or have used them in the past. You can reach out to me at Clueless Game Master on Instagram, or catch me on the subreddit. I do lurk there once in a while. Anyways, good luck adventurers, and stay safe. So, <laughs> so by definition the these are going to be our weakest of these warlocks yeah of the booyak slayers yeah i mean it, it it's odd that fiends are cr7 and great old ones are cr6 but an archfey only bumps it to cr4 it's funny because i i it's just it's not as potent i mean you look at the archfey uh packed option it's also the weakest in the player's handbook. Well, that's because the fucking Archfey are the weakest. Like, they're ill-defined. They're, yeah. Even the Great Old One, you don't have much, but you got some. They get into some of the Great Old One stuff in Acquisitions Incorporated. There's all sorts of cool um, uh, aberration shit that you could use in Eberron. There's not a fuck of a lot. Yeah. You have to go to uh, Matt Coville's book. Uh, strongholds of followers in order to get anything that's going to be kind of like a, a fey court kind of I mean and and the stuff we find in wild mount as well has a lot of fey focus as well yeah but, but look right off the bat we see that the stats are lower and if you're looking to communicate in a weird way they don't get abyssal or infernal which are surprisingly common in D yeah. and the arch fiend warlocks get and they also don't get the amazing telepathic quality that the great old one warlock get they get Sylvan, the language of the Fae. This is fucking weird. Like, when is that ever going to come up? And that's just as a basic. Yep. Um, they also get Misty Step, which is the good thing, right? Well, it's Misty Escape. That's a reaction. Yeah, I mean, it, it. that limited teleportation reaction is okay to make things weird, but the other warlocks have far better powers in comparison. Yeah. Um, I guess this fits better with the lower hit points in AC, it, but it still feels a little underpowered. I think the real draw here is going to be the spells, especially if these guys are support casters. Yeah, if you look at them, I mean, the cantrips are pretty standard at this point. Dancing Lights, Eldritch Blast. But now you're going to get Friends, Mage Hand, Minor Illusion, Prestidigitation, Vicious Mockery. This tracks for face stuff. And then Blink, Charm Person, Dimension Door, Dominate Beast, Fairy Fire, Fear, Hold Monster, Misty Step, Phantasmal Force, Seeming Sleep. I mean, Brad went through them. 
and there's some fun stuff in there, but you're not casting sleep on a party uh, that's going to run into anything above C, like level four, right? Yeah. Which is why I think they're CR four because you got to hit with them early. Yeah. yeah. Um, I I just I don't know. Brad's insight that your party isn't going to see this coming in the middle of a goblinoid encampment um, is correct. But do you like this better for mingling with the boggles and quicklings and satyrs and the like, like the flavor text says? Uh, to me, we, we've seen this idea that the the reason these Booyog slaves exist is because they are too close to a portal into another realm. No, like we, this, no, this we, thin, we don't, no, we don't know that necessarily. Va- well, uh, okay, sorry. We looked at what the wild magic Booyag, Booyag, Booyag got its power. And it's from being too close to these thin veils of portals between the realms. Sure. I think you can apply that to these goblins. Just these ones have fallen through the portal into the fairy realm, spent some time there, became the slave of a archfey there, and made their way back to kind of imbue the chaos that the archfey wants. Right? Um, so, yes... I see these guys as ha- mixing with boggles and satyrs and nymphs and dryads. I, I, would, but I, I really like the... I don't like them as part of the goblin encampment. I don't no, like not part as part of the goblin encampment. No, definitely not. I mean, if there is, they are still a pariah, right? Yeah. Like, they're, they these are going to be the ones who are running slave pens. Yeah, with their with their sleep and with their, their sleep friends and their and friends shit and like, like that, just, yeah. They're, they're going to be the good cop to a uh, great old one's bad cop, right? Or a fiend's bad cop. Like, if, if they're working in conjunction, these guys, what I'm trying to say, aren't solo. These guys are in a group and probably not in the host. One of the things that I think I would use this for, I was trying to think of when I would ever use this in a campaign, and I fucking wouldn't. I just, flavor, flavor-wise, sure, you hit the other ones, so we did this too, but it doesn't make an ounce of fucking sense to me. There's no evil aligned shit here. Goblins are not chaotic in the first place, but Fey are. Yep. Right? So it doesn't really match why they would do this. I don't think it makes a lick of fucking sense. But then I started thinking, if you had a goblin steal their whatever MacGuffin and then disappear into the forest and accidentally end up in the Fey Wild, and then you follow them in, and of course during transport, there's different... Um, different like time mechanics and shit that work in the Feywild. So they've been there for years and they've been imbued with Fey magic and they're living with the small group of boggles or there's yeah, yeah, yeah. like now I can see that all four of the goblins that escaped have these powers and now you got to hunt them down. And it's a little, it's different. It's interesting. It's cool, but it's in my Fey campaign. It's not yeah. in my goblin campaign. The only other way I see these guys are as Friendly party NPCs. Yeah, I could, if you're going to have a, a friendly NPC, that's a, like a goblin NPC, your Boblin the Goblin level yeah. shit, um, and he's going to get magic powers sometimes. Yeah. Because all of these spells, for the most part, are very support based. Yeah. So, and- like, they're never going to be the uh, big powerhouse that they bring on all the encounters. This is going to be the guy that you get to watch your horses. Sure. Uh, yeah, and I agree with that. And, it, like... He's almost used for comedy purposes too in the background. What have you been up to? Well, I've enslaved all the pigs on the farm, yeah. right? Like it, and you can see him walking around with a bunch of pigs falling as he like flies through the air or whatever bullshit that he's doing, right? Yeah. There are a couple of um, 
offensive spells in in that list. Of course, you get Eldritch Blast. There would, but, I mean, there has to be uh, at least, a and couple. that that's just it. Like they're the token yeah. ones. It's really all about the minor illusion and shit. So, okay, so those are the goblins that are mentioned in passing in the flavor text in Volos. Okay, again, that was the whip, the wielder, the uh, slaves, the buyag, buyag, buyag. Uh, you had the caster. Like there, there are a bunch of different ways to get magic, but. There's one other goblin-adjacent creature that isn't listed with the rest of them. They're the the goblin's very own boogeyman. Because I guess the Nilbog was mentioned last episode, it just wasn't enough. So this is now the unexpected fear monster in yeah. and among goblin culture. Anyway, Tyler has befriended some of the goblins on his travel, and he's taken the time to let us know about the nasty beast while his goblin companions are sleeping. So, let's see what he has to say about the Barghast. Hey guys, this is Tyler from the Wastes of Zoras. I'm happy, because I'm here with my goblinoid friends around this campfire as we're exchanging stories. But as we're exchanging stories, they told me of a tale that sent shivers down my spine. And this is the tale of the Barghast. You see, long ago, Maglubiet, the big leader of the goblins, you know, big god, made a deal with the general of Gehenna, you know, the big leader of the Yugoloths. However, when it came time for Maglubiet to kind of come back on his side of the contract, he backed out. Now, the general retaliated on him by creating a creature to devour goblins' souls, preventing them from joining Maglubiet's army in the afterlife. And after it devoured enough souls, I think it was 17... Who's counting? After it devoured enough goblin souls, it would return to Gehenna to serve alongside the Yugoloth legions. And the fun thing about them is the more powerful of souls that they devoured, the higher elevated status that Barghest would have in the afterlife. So I thought this was just a story that they would tell, but they assured me this is real. So I asked, well, what does this thing look like? They told me that it was a fiendish canine with hair as black as the darkest night and its face that of a nightmarish monster with large fangs and piercing eyes. In fact, they would say it would be the last thing you would see before it finished you off and devoured your soul. But that's not all. These things have the ability to shapeshift into a goblin. In fact, that's how they come into the world is as a goblin and then learn how to shape change into the true form, knowing full well who they are. But they would keep it a secret and only reveal their true self to devour. So that means any goblin could be a bar guest. Any goblin here could be... No, 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 no. Couldn't be that, no. So what does that mean when they devour the soul? Well, they'll tell me this, that that means I can feed on any humanoid, not just a goblinoid, any humanoid, it kills within 10 minutes, and it only takes them one minute to fully devour both body and soul. These guys are quick eaters. And that soul remains in the Bargus for the next 24 hours while it's being digested, after which it becomes absolutely impossible to res- resurrect them with any mortal magic. Now, if the Bargus is killed before that, though, the soul is freed. However, if you try and resurrect someone, while a soul is being digested, it only has about a 50-50% chance of succeeding. But enough about their diet. Let's talk about their actual stats, who these guys are. 
Well, they are a large fiend. Not in their true form. And so I'm going to say they're about challenge rating of 4, which is not too terribly difficult. But it's where their strengths lie that matter. They have a crazy high strength because, well, they're a large canine. And they're also pretty dexterous too. Because, again, big canine. Need I say more? However, everything else is well above average. Which, they have the ability to strategize, impersonate, and even deceive, whether in their true form or as a goblin. Now, they also have a massive amount of health. They have 12 d10s plus 24. And guess what? Their natural hide gives them an armor class of 17. These guys are not pushovers. And they're also excellent at deception, intimidation, perception, as well as stealth checks. Not only that, but they also have resistance to the basic elements, acid, poison, as well as any non-magical attacks. It's going to be hard to hit these guys. And if that wasn't hard enough, they can move up to 60 feet, which is twice as much as the average person. Unless they're in the goblin form, which is strict 30 feet. Now, even if you do know where they are, you're not going to sneak around them because they have a highly massive passive perception. With a 60-foot blind sight and dark vision. Not to mention they have cane smell, giving them advantage in all wisdom checks requiring smell. On top of that, they also speak abyssal, common, goblin, infernal, and the most curious of them all, and interesting and scary, is they also have telepathy within 60 feet. Now as a shape changer, they keep all their stats, regardless of which form that they are in. Aside from their size and their speed. That's a tough goblin. Well, guess what? That's not the end of it. They also can cast spells. Not a lot, but some. They can cast Levitate, Minor Illusion, and Pass Without a Trace at will. And each of these are once per day. They can do Charm Person, Dimension Door, and Suggestion. It makes you see things that aren't really there, guys. And then they charm you into trusting them above anyone else. These guys are suddenly a lot more scary outside of combat rather than in combat. But let's talk about it in combat a little bit. What can they do? Well, they have a bite, which is 2d8, and they have their claws, which is like 1d8. So they're not going to be that scary if you're actually fighting them. And here's the thing. They also have something that all goblinoids know about, is this idea of fire banishment. That means if they're engulfed in flames of either 10 feet high or 10 feet wide, they make a DC 15 charismatic save, or they are banished to Gehenna. Now, I'll admit to you guys this. I am more afraid of them in their goblin form than I am of them in their true canine form. Because if they're in their goblin form, you don't know who they are, but they can telepathically speak to you Maybe with threats, telling you things that aren't there. Or maybe just speaking constantly in abyssal or infernal, enough to drive you mad and you would have no idea where they are. Maybe they become the trusted goblin that everyone loves, but in secret, ready to stealthily slit a throat in the middle of the night. And only just before a person dies... They reveal their true form and devour both body and soul before turning back into the trusted goblin. Maybe it's your goblin servant who's been with you this whole time. You know, he follows you everywhere. And the whole 
already just adores them. And they've been watching you become more and more powerful souls. And maybe you thought it was your conscience talking to you to be better, to get better and stronger. Maybe it was just this Barghest waiting for the right moment to devour your souls to earn him the great status in Gehenna in the afterlife. These guys, pretty scary. Well, that's all I have for the Barghest tonight, guys. If you need songs written for you, you can find me at Melodica's Music on Facebook or at Melodica's Music on Instagram. Thank you. I'm glad I could do the Barghest justice. I'm glad you won't be devouring me tonight. Wait. Was it you guys that just said that? Um, I, 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 I think I'm going to take my leave right about now. I'll, I'll talk to you guys next time. This is Tyler from the Wastes of Zoras. I always like whenever the lore gives us a reason why resurrection is limited in D&D. And I like the fact that the Bargas adds to this. Yeah. Add to the fact that it tends to eat its victims, and it would be really cool to have a little gang of goblinoids be freaking out and spreading rumors about why their friends keep going missing. Yeah, I like that. If for whatever reason you, uh, you're you with a group of goblins, your party did it in the last campaign where you just had like 15 goblins hanging out. Well, it started with in 15. the 60s. It did, and then it slowly, slowly got whittled slowly down. Slowly got whittled but down. But I like the idea of there being a bar guest in and among it, and now you've got a murder mystery in and among your goblin subplot. Yeah. Right, so it's like the, and and it's your basic lycanthrope mystery with the fucking demonic twist. Yeah, um, it's also nice to get a shout out to the ever mysterious general of Gehenna. Yeah, we don't see him often mentioned anywhere in Fifth Ed and or any edition. He's out there, but we don't know much about him. I'm still actively waiting for the campaign where he's your big bad evil guy. Fuck, please give me that. Yeah, that I am desperate for that. Yeah, so it's pretty clear to us, speaking about the Bargast now, that these things are a solo encounter. Yeah, he's not going to have a lot of backup. No, uh, that means that they're going to be fighting tier one parties and wreaking havoc. It's a great opportunity to lean into the horror tropes that we often harp and bolster here on this podcast. Yeah. This 60-foot movement at level four is unmatched. Your monks can't even do this shit. And the 60-foot telepathy with all of those languages can also be scary. The ability to cast minor illusions and levitate means you can go full exorcist on your party when they're out in the middle of nowhere with a group of terrified goblins. I think that's fucking amazing. I want to drop one of these guys in the middle of the woods near dusk. Yeah, it, look, honestly, I would have the murder mystery and of, oh, we know it's one of these three goblins, which one of it, well, we'll cut them with a silvered weapon to whatever, whatever, right? Yeah. We'll make up whatever reason. And then when he comes out in and of a, Bruh! it's a fucking terrifying encounter as he tears NPCs to bits. Yeah. Like knocks down your spellcasters and just rips them to shreds and then fucks off into the night. And then the next day you're sitting there going, okay, so... We had 12 goblins here before. We're doing another head count. We lost three last night. We should be down to nine. Fuck, there's ten. <laughs> okay. All right. Who was not here last night? And they're all just looking around at each other. Who died? And the goblins, of course, have lost track of shit. Because they're all a bunch of prize and idiots. <laughs> yeah. And, and your fucking party never bothered to learn the names of more than like two of the goblins. So we're doing this again tonight. Right? Like, I think that's a lot of fun. The fact... 
that they also have to be banished by fire, which spans, you know, 10 feet in any direction, you know, enough to engulf the bar guest, which is a large creature. Like, it's neat, but I feel like this isn't information that you give the party before the first encounter <laughs> um, with one of these guys. You, you, you let them scare them first. And then uh, he kills an NPC and disappears and all that shit. But then you have to party figure out how to deal with the monster who's harrying the encampment. I think that that's a lot of fun. Like, how do we even get rid of this fucker? Because we can't kill him. He's got a, this massive pool of hit points. Um, and as far as the fire banishment itself goes, they could learn this information through a series of checks. Or they could, I mean, they could just fight the fucking thing. Like, they don't need to actually get that. No, I... I... To be completely honest, I love the fact that there is this added, like, just to get rid of it, here's how what you have to do. Yeah. We have straight up horror level encounters across the board that don't have this, that need it. I love that this, like, here's a ritual to banish this thing. This feels supernatural. And I mean, like, the TV show. Yeah. Look, right? I, I see them saying, okay, you know, we know we're dealing with him tonight. I want all the goblins to just sit here and do nothing. And all the PCs run around and they build seven bonfires around the clearing. Yeah. And then at night, they light them. Okay, guys. Here we go. And they just start throwing goblins through bonfires. (laughs) They'll come out the other end just kind of like, ow, 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 burned, ow. But goblins have enough hit points to be able to live through it. But a bar guest will just disappear. Yeah. It's also kind of funny that it's resistant to the fire, but it gets banished by it. Can you imagine how pissed off it's going to be showing up in Gehenna just slightly singed? I fucking love. He like shows up and looks at the general. General's like bonfire, fucking bonfire. (laughs) (laughs) Mopes away, looking for the next portal back. Well, um, we're going to move on to a shout out here. And I just want to say thank you to everybody who has helped out on this episode. We miss having all of you here with us. And we hope everybody is staying safe and happy out there. I just want to remind everyone that you can find us on Instagram, Facebook, and at r slash it's a mimic on Reddit. You can also reach out to us through our email at info at it's a mimic dot com because we love hearing from you guys and any questions that you send us will get added to the list for our upcoming mailbag episodes. We just got our first question off a YouTube comment. Oh, fantastic. Yeah. So that's... Give that's us more. Fun. Yeah. Good. Seriously, we check everything except Podbean. We, we oh, check. no. We check Podbean too. Oh, do you? Yeah. Because I fucking don't. So, but we uh, we check absolutely everything. If you're leaving us questions and comments, it makes it into the mailbag episode list. So, so hit us up. No, I want to... I want to get into this really quickly, Dan. I Let's, let's roll initiative. I want to talk about the implications for a second of um, what all the preceding breakdowns give us. Okay. Um, What did we learn about goblins and goblin society in general based off of their their fucking stat breakdowns? Okay. All right. So I I got a 16 and you got a 13. You got an 18, bud. Put on your glasses. I got an 18. All right. Doesn't matter. I beat you. (laughs) I don't even need to be able to see to beat you. That, that's the point here. So, look, the one thing that I, I'm starting to get here is the fact that goblinoid society with all of the pariahs, gatherers, hunters, and lashers is one thing. They really do set up these booyogs to be their own unique flavor. Yep. And I feel like it would really change how a goblinoid encampment runs. Specifically a goblin encampment. Would you make a goblin boss a booyog? Potentially. I mean, we we 
have a stat block for a goblin boss. We have a um, stat block for the Booyog. And the thing is that I see is a goblin boss is supposed to be running a goblin encampment of dozens of goblins. He's only a CR1. Sure, he's the most powerful individual goblin, but four of them team up, he's dead. Yeah, and honestly, he's not nearly as powerful as these these magic wielders. No, not right. at all. So having a Booyog in as your goblin boss, replacing that goblin boss thing, running that goblin boss stat block as a, I don't know, just a more power, like this is your lasher. Yeah, honestly, I, I don't think so because it's not like orcs. It's not like gnolls were the strongest lead. Yeah, that's true. For them, it's about Maglubiot. It doesn't matter how strong you are, Maglubiot's going to get you in the long run anyway. Yeah, yeah. Um, so we can pray to Kogorbayog or we can get these magic items that we're wielding or whatever it is, but it doesn't matter. We're still subjects to a to a higher power. So even though you can cast a fireball, that doesn't fucking impress me. The goblin boss is going to be the person that runs the encampment better. The intelligence on these guys are relatively high for mob monster. Yeah. They are going to know that it's more than just who is the strongest. Might does not equal right necessarily in goblin culture. Mm-hmm. Don't tell that to the bugbears. But in goblin <laughs> culture alone, that's not how it is. No. Um, so I would say that that they know what their purpose is. And their purpose is going to be to forge, to make items, to scavenge, to stay alive, to procreate, to get the horde as big as possible. Yeah. Because when Maglubia calls, which we'll talk about next episode, when the hobgoblins start, start saying, hey, motherfuckers, get over here. We're going to war. You can't sit there and be like, oh, the magic guy was busy entertaining us with dancing lights for the last, yeah. you know, three years. Like, you have to have something to bring to the table. Yeah. You guys are going to war. That's the background knowledge that they all have. Right. And whether or not you're lazy about it like a bugbear or you're militant about it like a hobgoblin or you're crafty about it like a goblin, it's not about how strong you are. If they want strength, they'll enslave an ogre. Yeah, no, I, I'm completely with you. So um, I would not have a large number of these guys with like of, of the Booyog varieties. I would not have a large number of those in any given a goblin at like at most one, <laughs> uh, I, I could see depending on the size of the goblinoid camp, of course. For a goblinoid encampment, for a little goblin tribe that's out yeah. of mine, you're right. I'd have I'd have one, um, maybe maybe the wielders. I've had a couple because I've got a couple of magic items. Yes, yeah, right. Yeah. But um, but and and the whips, if there are enough of them that are praying to Kogorbayog, then sure, yes, I'll give you a handful of these but guys. The but they'll booy- have low level. The booyogs, especially like a booyog, 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 is a unique thing. Yes, and so you're not going to run into it very often. Um, it's not that it's unique; it's as rare. Yeah, it, it, it it's very rare. Um, and so, if you're not doing a, a patron level campaign, you're not going to run into the Booyog slaves no. very often. I'm not really going to put these guys in the Goblinoid host. We've got a whole bunch of other fucking options. I will give them their their cleric level of goblin, but I'm not going to give them wild magic. That's just fucking crazy in the first place. Yeah. Um, so they're going to be a focal point of a campaign if I'm going to use them. Yeah. Um, I can see there being, for the Warlock specifically, groups of them as as um, worshippers, as cultists. If you have a number of cultists um, that are going to be a part of this, this group that's worshipping in the 
depths of water deep. For example, have three goblins in there that are the Booyag slaves. We just have permission to use goblins there instead of your basic cult fanatic. Mm-hmm. It's weird that it's that they get more power than a than a cult fanatic. It's weird that goblins specifically get this. Yeah, almost like goblins are preferred by patrons. Maybe because of their weak will. Yeah, I, they are very easily subjugated. So, and that is why they subjugate yeah. as well. Um, but no, for the most part, adding these guys into the mix, th- this bumps you up to tier two. Maybe even tier three if you have multiples. So you got to oh, yeah. be careful with it. Yep. Um, now, when it comes to homebrewing additional goblinoid monsters and stuff, if you want to have a special kind of goblin, um, in the DMG... It says that you add the goblinoid character or the goblin characteristics to a creature. Um, you mean bolus? No, in the DMG. Okay. When there's the list of oh, yeah, all yeah, of the different, yeah. like how to how to add this to the NPC stat block, um, it it breaks down. Goblin is an option in there, um, but it doesn't really track. It doesn't follow necessarily with the stat blocks that exist. When you go to look at what it says in Volos for the actual um, player, player characters, character, yeah. You get the plus two to dex and the plus one to con, even though con is average in the monster stat block. I don't know why you're getting a bonus to it. Uh, I think you're getting a bonus to con because charisma doesn't make sense. Wisdom doesn't make sense. Strength doesn't make sense. And int doesn't make sense. Wisdom, maybe, but they're, they're, they're just like from a bird's eye view of a goblin. Dexterity makes sense. They're fast. They're nimble. Yeah. They're everything else. And we've seen that they're crafty. So int might make sense, but uh, they're traditionally stupid. Look, their highest stat is dex, obviously. Con and intelligence are both at a 10. Those are the next highest level stat. Yeah. I just would have given it to intelligence. You think? You're going to have more goblin rogues than you will barbarians. I'm going to give it to... I, uh, yeah, no, you're, you're, you're completely right. So anyway, um, they've got dark vision cause fuck, of course they do. Fury of the small, which is neat. Once per short rest, you can add damage to any attack or spell. The damage equals your level. Once per short rest. Once per short rest. This can, this can grow pretty quickly. Why the fuck do goblins get this? It doesn't make any sense to me. I don't know why they get this, especially because there's nothing like that in, in any, any of their monster stat blocks. Yeah. Exactly. It just feels fucking strange. It's like they needed to add something more to entice people to play a goblin. That could be why they get the con bonus as well. Oh, I'm sure that what to add survivability to add in like interest in playing a goblin. Yeah, I guess, but like it just doesn't fit with me. Not by the stat block. Like not by the monster stat block. Yeah. I don't I don't like this. Give them more sneaky stuff. They get nimble escape, which I've mentioned a couple of times, which lets you disengage or hide as a bonus action. But I, again, I don't fucking like that for a player because you're probably going to be a rogue anyway because you're a goblin, so you've doubled up now. Yeah. So the fuck are you doing? Right? Like, I just, I don't like this. I'm not leaning on the player um, boons and traits, the racial traits for, for player characters, to figure out what to do with an NPC or a new monster that I'm building. Um, because then when you look in the DMG at this list and be like, hey, I can I can just add goblin to whatever NPC stat block I need to. So I can have a goblin guard or a goblin um, merchant or a goblin yeah. whatever. It lets you do nimble escape, but not Fury of the Small. 
and the stat modification is a plus two to dex, but now it's a minus two to strength and no mention of con. Right? Like, it just doesn't Makes feel sense, yeah. right to me. Yeah. So, I am going to go by the DMG on this. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. I'm I'm not going to look at the at the player stat blocks. Oh, this is if you're creating your own homebrew, like... Uh, you're kind of goblin. An NPC. Yeah. As a DM, you're doing your thing. As a DM, yeah. Yeah. Okay. No, I'm with when, you. When I'm homebrewing yeah. my own goblinoid monster and I'm looking to an NPC stat block, or if I'm making a stat block up by, by just normal and I look at, okay, what are the average traits... Where do I go with my tens across the board? Sure. Yeah. I, I'm not doing too much homebrewing because like I'm not gonna a lot of people go nuts with it. I just say what are the basic stats so I know what my modifier's on. I move the fuck on from there, right? Yeah. Because they tend to just be uh this guy's a specific kind of goblin hunter. He has a long bow instead of a short bow. Yeah. What are the stats that I need to know for that, right? So um, or this guy is particularly bigger than the others, so he's going to have a plus two to strength, or he wields a great sword. A goblin with a great sword, isn't that funny? And then, like, yeah, yeah. But I, I just don't like what they have to offer for the player characters as far as the goblin stats go. It doesn't make a lick of fucking sense to me. Not for goblins. No, I'm, I'm, I'm completely with you. Uh, and, and even when it comes to, uh, like. Uh, Fury of the Small is there to try to entice people in. That's that's what it exists for. Give them a little burst of speed. Yeah, it's weird that they don't have like that tabaxi level stuff, or or even but just a, just a, a advantage on climb checks. I w- I would all uh, yeah yes advantage on climb checks yes one hundred percent because they're supposed to be from up high. Give them a bonus to crafting or a bonus to perceptions or or stuff like that, right? They should have a bonus to charisma. They just uh, no. They they just should. It should be the plus one to charisma because a lot of the kind of thing that you're gonna do with a goblin. What was the last goblin character you played, Dan? Oh, uh-huh. Rojan Mott. Yeah, yeah. But, but he was a bard, right? You're yeah, going major to, Tom backwards. Yeah, but you are going to see. Fuck you, Dan. But you're gonna see. <laughs> you're gonna see a lot of charisma caster goblins as well. When you're a booyog 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 as a player character, you get wild magic. Yeah, okay. Right, like yeah. you're going to that would be really fun. It would be really fun, but you're not going to get that with your Dex and Con combo, right? What's your player name? Uh, Booyag, 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 Booyag. So, <laughs> so I'm not I'm not going to turn to the to the player stats for homebrew. Right, is is the point? Yeah. I mean. And the stuff that they offer in the DMG is not helpful. No. Not really. So when it comes to homebrewing goblins, I'm kind of looking at the NPC stats and running with them as is. It's fucking weird that it says the Booyog slaves get to use the Warlock stat block. The Booyog, uh, Booyog, Booyog gets to use the Mage stat block. But if you want to use an NPC stat block, you have to drop their strength. And yeah. Why are we doing this? Just let them be fucking NPCs. I, I agree. Yeah. So let's roll dice one final time before we wrap this up. And let's say plot hooks. Um, campaign ideas. Sure. What do you say? I got a six. I got a 13. All right. You're up first. So uh, first plot hook. Um. I want so you mentioned how they they uh, 
Craft these tunnels. The to look collapse. on your face already makes me think, fuck you, Dan. I don't know what you're going to say. <laughs> you might actually like this. So your party has been tasked with clearing out a uh, goblin warren or something. Or they've just happened upon this thing. Um, and there's this one section of cave that has been caved in. And the only thing you hear, because you would actually hear something on it, because they hear you moving around, is something ticking from the other side. Like something hitting some rock. You uncover to find this one goblin pariah covered in gore and blood and see like the corpses of other goblins around them and he's got his little distended belly and he's just like i've been stuck in this camp in this little cave for three days and i'm the one that made it out <laughs> and it was him just trying to get through but like there were a cave happened when they were setting up a trap a couple lashers and some pariahs got stuck in here. And this is the guy who's been eating the other goblins to get out. You love your fucking cannibals in D&D. Now, it would be super awesome if this act of survivability is what made this guy a booyag, booyag, booyag. Oh, no. He, he, <laughs> no, he fucking eats his, his, his like friends and family. And so Yiyanagu gives him power. Yeah. So he's a uh, fiend. Yeah. Great old... And like... Doesn't know it. He comes to this realization after your party frees him. And guess what? Now you have this encounter. Uh, I really like that. That's a lot of fun. The other thing... Vomiting blood up on your party. The other thing that I was thinking about is in Mordenkainen's, you have for each one of the um, archdevils and demon lords, a bunch of cultists. options, yeah. yeah. uh, Like options and ideas and powers that they get as well. You can fucking boost up your Booyog slave so that you've got a Why number of want to? because because you're in tier three okay. and you and every goblin you run into is a Booyog slave except the leader which has even more powers on top of them right so you've got goblins that you've used a dmg to turn cult fanatic stat blocks into as well as cultists as well like there the, are some options si- in this situation you just roll a player character goblin as a great old one warlock or something. I and I 100% hate the idea of rolling up a player I'm, I'm character. Just for the big bad evil guy. I, I wouldn't even just, do that. Just to have the spell block listed I, out there. I wouldn't you. do that. You want to know why? Because he's 20% as powerful as your average party. Because he is one player. Monster stat blocks are more powerful than any one single given player. Fair. So don't don't do that. Just make the monster you want to make. So, and for me, I would make a, the Booyog Slave, or like the Archfiend, for example. Um, and then I would add the boons and shit that you can find in, in Mordenkainen's. Cool. Um, and then probably give him a big ass staff of go fuck yourself. Um, my, my plot hook is literally going to be the, the goblin stole the blacksmith's daughter. Yeah. Go, go get her back. But they stole her because they really need her help. She, uh, we 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 understand that she is going to be able to help us root out the bar guest. Okay. Yep. She. Everybody says that she's the smartest one in the village. Every slave we capture says that she's the smartest one in the village. So we got her, and she's she's going to help us figure this out. Um, but now that you're here, you do it. <laughs> <laughs> I really like that. That's really cool. So that's that's my little like. Here's a fun little level three. Um, twist on the original. Cool. What do you got for a mini campaign? Um, mini campaign. I was really, really liking the idea of um, this Nilbog and Booyag, 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 who have taken over a 
uh, goblin tribe. Yep. With, with between the two of them. So um, this is going to be chaos for the sake of chaos. And honestly, I love this idea of they have moved into this abandoned village that has a palisade wall around it. And between the weird magical shit and the weird tricks that are coming out of the Booyag, Booyag, Booyag and the Nilbog, um, your party has to root out these guys and uh, get them out of the par- out of the city before they find this one MacGuffin of power that is buried under the church. Sure. Or something, yeah. right? Um, and you could have that item is the thing that drew the Nilbog and the Booyag, Booyag, Booyag here. And they just don't know it yet. They know that there's something here and their hunters are searching for it and their pariahs are digging and your party's going to come across pit traps in the middle of the streets because they dug too close to the ground in that spot. And now you're in underground uh, sewers slash goblin tunnels and having to deal with the city's ancient Odiog or whatever. Sure. Right? So you could go four or five sessions just exploring a city and ridding it of goblins. I do like goblins overrunning cities and shit. That's yeah. yeah. Okay, so I didn't go mini campaign. I went campaign campaign. Okay. Um, you know how most uh, campaigns that that we get at this point, the modules that are actually printed out, they run you level one to eleven or whatnot. That's kind of what I'm going to do here. Maybe one to eleven to fourteen, somewhere around there. And the idea is that everybody has to be a goblin. And we're going to explore goblinoid life. But you're going to discover that uh, you have to go root out this uh, one horrible blasphemer out there who is actually a uh, great old one, Booyak slave. Okay. Yeah. But then you find out as, as you continue to go and you're gaining levels and you get more and more powerful at about the time that you can meet him and go toe to toe. So he's CR6. So you're level six now. You guys have some powers. He can fuck up any one or two of you. But he's still just a yep. just a Booyog slave. Um, he, he's going to reveal that he's been working with a Nilbog. Because the Great Old One is the unnamed god. Who is oh, trying cool. yeah. to undermine Maglubiot. And this is you working with Groomsh to wipe up Maglubiot and restore your pantheon. Are you saying that the unnamed god is Groomsh? Uh, no, no. I'm saying that the unnamed god is working with Groomsh to win the endless war, the eternal war. Okay, this is badass. I love this. And so at the end of this, in your tier uh, three and whatnot, you come toe-to-toe with Maglubiot. And he's not this all-powerful god. He's just a CR 13 like patron. Because he doesn't need to be more than that. He's got fucking goblins that he's got to subjugate, right? Like, there's a reason that he didn't subjugate the elves. <laughs> he went after the goblins because those guys are fucking easy. Yeah. Right? So, like, I really like the idea of you going from goblins to then needing a goblinoid host. And then going a little planeswalking and whatnot. Um, but you're you're following the idea that you've got to... You are the freedom fighters in goblin society. I really like that. And the goblinoid host that you're going to pull together, you're going to pull together to fight Maglubiot. I think that's a fun campaign. Yeah. No, I, I'm, I'm on board with all that. So, any final thoughts before we wrap up? I love goblins. I love goblins too. I'm tired of them being the 
fucking punching bag of D&D. They really, with what we've seen here, they shouldn't be. They've got some heavy hitters. Everybody thinks about them like they're fucking goofballs. And I'm not entirely certain where that started. I think that's, I think it's a Warcraft thing. Uh, it's a Warhammer thing. Is it? Yeah. Uh, grots, which are basically goblins in Warhammer are subjugated by the orcs. Sure. And are just, they're just silly and puntable and, and like Uh, it's, you have, you have, there's a model where they are literally sucking a goblin up into a vacuum and shooting it. Yeah, the idea that you get the goblin chucker or goblin hucker as well, yeah. um, which is the kind of ogre, is another kind of neat, like funny thing that you can do. I've used goblins to great comedic effect in the past. They don't need to be. And by stock, they shouldn't be. They sh- they can be freaking scary. And, they, and I think when you're dealing with a goblinoid host, they need to be. If you're going to have bugbears and hobgoblins and and these enslaved magical beasts and creatures and monstrosities that are working with them when you've got warg riders and shit, this isn't the time for comedy. No. This is the time for being legitimately scared. When you turn to your players as a DM and you say, hey, I got a cool idea for a goblinoid campaign. Do you guys want to play in it? Like, yeah, let's be silly. No. No, no, no. We're doing a goblin war campaign. This is not the time for comedy. If you think that you're going to sit there and pull the fingernails out of the goblin to get the information, he's going to scream and wail and pee himself. He may. But then when they capture you, they're going to pull the fingernails out of you. Because yeah. this is like, we're, we're going we're going there. Like It's nasty. It's evil. These are a peoples. And you can't just treat them like, like NPC punching bags that you can get. I would love to throw this at like a party of murder hobos. Yep, Te- to just not necessarily teach them a lesson, but flip it on its head. Right? Flip it on its head. Yeah. So anyway, that's what we have for all of these unnamed, uh, like non-stat blocked goblins uh, in fifth edition. But we've got even more goblinoids to discuss. So don't forget to come back next week when we cover the five different kinds of hobgoblins. That's it for this episode of the It's a Mimic podcast. And if you'd like to support us, you can head to www.itsamimic.com, hit our fancy donate button that I mentioned earlier. Or tell your friends and the rest of your D&D party about the podcast. We're available on iTunes, Spotify, and YouTube, as well as most podcast apps. Stay safe out there, guys. And now, something a little different. Thank you for listening to another It's a Mimic production. Inquiries, shoutouts, requests, and mailbag questions can be sent to info at itsamimic.com. Booyog, 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 a chant, a curse, a warning. Swaddled in tattered rags, a goblin prince is born. Fire in the blood, the reek of magic. It could have been a god if it wasn't born a goblin. Booyog, booyog, booyog. Tell it from the mountainsides, tell it from every field and forest, every swamp and fen. Booyog, booyog, booyog. Down into the frostfold lands of men and kin, echoing through a thousand twisted throats. Booyog, booyog, booyog! Away, the rangers fly into the wine-dark midnight glens, breath clouding, snow cracking underfoot. See how their steel flashes, their eyes burn, holding torches high aloft, pounding hearts beat. They move with great haste, not a second can be lost. Booyog, booyog, booyog! 
turning, twisting, this way and that, which warren, which den, which crooked cave, which cavern. Goblin crones will hide the child away in a secret place before too long. Beyond their reach, no time to count them all. Put them to the sword, each and every one. What else can a mere mortal do to stop the horror to come? Booyog, booyog, booyog. Into the ice fields they swept, down onto the plains of snow, hard-packed and frozen, their horses' hooves splintering ice, frost and winter winds swirling, biting. They come to the black crags, black as pitch at night, three moons overhead and darkest midnight. Booyog, booyog, booyog. There, in the depths of a cave, a fire burns. Three goblin crones dance around it. Now back, now forth, now around they go. The flames leap and sway to the rhythm of their dance. Booyog, booyog, booyog. The crones are shrieking now, their hair wild as flame. Capes of feather and bone, long and lean and leathery, stretching and twisting and waving like the flames they dance around. Booyog, booyog, booyog. In one graceful movement of fire with hellish reds and oranges and yellows and burning blues and greens, the crones stoop low over the swaddled babe in the center of their dance. A baby's cry pierces the night, a cry that cuts through the winter's air and chills the blood. The crones lean close now over the child, wrinkled hands reaching out. They reach down and pick it up in their arms. Then they are gone, vanished like smoke in winter's breath. Their fire dwindles and dies. Finally, the rangers arrive. The cave is dark. Booyog, booyog, booyog. Thank you for listening to an It's a Mimic production. <laughs> okay, you're done, <laughs> <laughs>